Now, I'm pretty sure the sound is going to be better than the last two weeks. And I think it's about as good as it's ever going to get on this platform. I do plan to release this as a separate piece at some point, assuming I can get it to work. But the whole point of this really is for you to take a little pride in your God who's not me. So we share something. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father, before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things are made, for us men and for us. Came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son, who together and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. one baptism for the remission of sins and the life of the world to come.
My name is Jonathan Fisk, and this is the Saturday Morning Chill. Welcome to Mad Christianity. Uh-oh. I'm coming into pause again. So I'm still getting these to overpower me. That's amazing. I'm sending it from one soundboard out mixed to you. The only I can't I cannot mix that anymore. So I will have to then forget this then, right? So if it didn't work today, um, it's not good enough. What I've got to do is build a separate way to record this or do this and have someone help me with that. So thank you for that right away. Thank you for getting to bear with it. Man, it is such a rush. I wish you could hear it from the way I'm hearing it because it is quite the rush. Um, uh, that piece, which is called Wrath of the Titans, if you just Google that, or not, don't Google that, if you YouTube search for that, you'll find it without me talking into it. And you can just figure out what I'm doing if you haven't figured it out yet. It's the Nicene Creed. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's the Ten Commandments. And it's pretty awesome. You can throw the doxology on in the end in the middle i just threw my favorite bible verse in greek that i like to say against the devil sometimes so you can figure out what that is if you ever want to oh my goodness that's such a bummer i was just boasting to my wife it would work today and now now it's just yet again the mad christian saturday morning chill why can't i find this button there it is take anymore i'm that is so embarrassing and frustrating there's no way around that so in any case let's get to the real thing right because my vanity is not what matters but what does matter is i don't want to sit here and wait anymore for the music to try to get excited i'd rather just talk to you this morning there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that's worth talking about. We only have about five questions through the website from y'all. Uh, so if you have more questions, Bible especially, and you want to throw that in the sidebar today, that'd be in the comments below, however you're seeing it on your screen, uh, throw that up there and we'll try to track it down if we can uh, and get to that. But I'm going to jump right over then to the grab bag this morning. We're going to go in inverted order from purple to to green. I love it. I love it. I feel like I'm in the 60s. Uh, Hello, says Evan. I was looking through St. Paul's photo gallery on Facebook and saw what I believe to be pictures of two different churches. So here's a question about my congregation, St. Paul Rockford, okay? Uh, St. Paul Lutheran in Rockford. You saw two different sanctuaries, right, is what you're talking about when you say churches there? I do not believe on the website we have any any outdoor photos of the old building. Uh, there is one indoor photo or two uh, of me, I believe, in the old building that's there. So uh, did the congregation formally meet at a different church that is uh, building, uh, institution, facility, uh, than they do now? If so, where is that older church and why did the congregation move? Evan, that is such a good question. And it's one that's really, really complicated. So I don't know that I will be able to ever do it justice here without in some way also stepping on toes, well, here, right? So so here's the thing. The history of every congregation is usually the history of pastors and their ideas and the consequences of those ideas, whether they are there or not, right? And whether or not they remain. And in many situations, uh, certain ideas are put into place, which over time become more real than the current pastor, than the current institution, that is, organization as it's constructed. Uh, what you can say or call a mythology within the body about who the body is, who they are. And no matter how this happens, it can happen a lot of different ways, but no matter how this happens, People then are identifying themselves as a congregation with something that is not Jesus Christ, dead, raised, word, sacrament, justifying you, all that good stuff. Look to the end of the world, right? Um, it's something other than that that is keeping the people in that congregation congregating. 
Now, by the time that happens in most congregations, it feels pretty good to go to that church. There's a lot of really good stuff going on there. Uh, and there's reasons that people who are not Christians would want to congregate there around these things that then again become the main identity of the congregation. But here's the challenge. Uh, Jesus Christ is a jealous God. Uh, he's the Old Testament Yahweh, Joshua, I am that I am, no other but me. He is a jealous God. And so if you set up some statue to him and you say you're praying to him while well, you're actually doing everything in your life for something else, don't expect that other thing to go well. Now, now sometimes, don't get me wrong, he catches men in their iniquity. He'll let that other thing go well, like your entire life until you're dead. And then at judgment day, you realize, oh, that didn't go so well. And you thought it did the whole time. So, so don't you know, twist my words into some sort of like, you can read God's will thing. But don't expect to go against God's will and be blessed for it. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's a really foolish thing to do. And yet what we find, I believe, if you look at kind of any American congregation, because I haven't studied those congregations that have been there like since the first century. Like, I, I don't know much about the Antiochian Orthodox, and, and I don't know that I really want to. But what I know is they, they kind of have been there a while, right? <laughs> They've been there a long time. Most of our congregations, the, the, the buildings that we've put up for worship, our chapels, or our sanctuaries or our cathedrals, whatever you want to call them, uh, they generally have not been uh, able to withstand the test of time. I'm not talking just the stone they were built with, but the institutional livelihood or thrivingness. Somehow, some way, probably more than one way, uh, they lost their way right? Uh, the organizations lost their way, and it seems to be in the water in America a little bit that no matter how great you are, you're not really as great as you think you are. And, uh, you know, and present company definitely include, included in that. Uh, come visit, you'll find out. Uh, so, so, um, uh, so what happened here was what happened in a lot of different Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod parishes. So what I just said applies, I think, to everybody. I think it's, way, I mean, it's why the Crystal Cathedral closed. I think it's why Bill Hybels Church has had trouble since he's gotten older. I mean, I think that explains a lot of things, is that idolatry is what builds the place, and idolatry fails eventually. Um, you know, places that are going to be established as sanctuaries or chapels given the things that which endure, like unto the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ raised from the dead, given for your mouth to eat and drink, as my book Without Flesh is at pains to try to help you sacramentarians realize was a bad idea 500 years ago, and it's the reason things are happening the way they are now for you. In any case, you know, unless you've got that to, to hold you together, things keep falling apart. Now, what's beautiful about St. Paul Lutheran Church in Rockford, Illinois, is that they were founded to do just that thing that I mentioned, the good thing, to hold on to what Jesus has said in the Bible at all costs, and to realize that Gathering around the Lord's Supper is a pretty important part of that, yea, unto his own presence. So in finding this in their original documents, finding that that's the reason they left the very large Lutheran church in town, mega church of his day, spawned multiple daughters through schisms over the course of several years, but, but lots and lots of ELCA churches now as a result of this mega, mega church that was here, they left it. Uh, they left it. Why? Because they wanted the scriptures, because they did not want to be made to commune with sacramentarians at the point of the sword, which was what was happening in Europe for a lot of people. Uh, well, not necessarily in the 1900s, but yeah, actually, you know, within the 40 years preceding that. So they left and they founded the congregation. Uh, they were very 
we would say blessed over the years, uh, located where they were just outside of the west side of downtown Rockford, although they never, the city never grew um, into like suburbia the way it did on the other side and has since become a bit of a wreck, the abandoned area of town. At a time, it was like if you lived in the city with a house, this was like the place to be. It was a great neighborhood. And they had a school that Lutherans always started schools because they wanted to teach their children in their home mother language. German, and they wanted to teach them the Bible in German, and they thought that was very important. So they had schools that the pastor then would run all week. He'd teach people to read and to read the Bible in German, and then they'd go and they'd do whatever else in life they need to do. Arithmetic sometimes got in there. Think one-room schoolhouse kind of mentality. That's that's where it all kind of came from. But as these neighborhoods grew, you know, they bring in male pa- male teachers to help out because the pastor can't do it all. It's you know, eventually that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But the long story short of that is, by the time you get to the end of this race. Uh, you don't have a congregation being quite there for the congregation, and you definitely have it being there for the school, and the school itself is having trouble existing. It's having trouble surviving, period, in an aging building that's aging twice over. You basically have a mega church that grew on the back of a good school. I mean, I'm not against the school in its, in its heyday, right? But it was grown into a mega size on that congregating. And as that ceased to happen because of things like the neighborhood, because of things like cost of tuition and competition from better schools in the area. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why in this area, the school is a difficult place to put a school. I'll just put it that way. Um, especially one that you want really uh, people that can pay $6,000, $7,000 a year to come to, right? Like that's not the neighborhood. Um, and uh, so as that happens, you find yourself with a smaller and smaller group of people that are trying to maintain a large shell, right? Imagine trying to, to have, like, having a tank would be cool. Like you think that would be cool, right boys? Like, hey, I got a tank. Okay, but you don't have any other car and now you got to go to work every day, right? Think about your gas, think about parking, think about time, right? All that's happening to this smaller core of people trying to maintain this, this significant facility, um, which is looking to put them underwater within about seven years period. Like they're just done. They shut down. And so that was when I took the call. Hi. Um, <laughs> that's when I came in. I said, you know, I think I can help you guys do this. Here's what you got to do. You got to be honest about whether or not you want to keep everything you have, because I didn't mention in this, there's also another congregation that they're supporting north of town. They're same, the same congregation, but it's another site. It's another, it's a full another set of actions. And it's basically where over half the congregation goes to church, more than half the congregation goes to church there instead. And so you have this very complex set of scenarios. And I just said, Hey, guys make a decision based on the numbers. When I saw the numbers, I couldn't argue. And I said, I can't argue. And then the bulk of the group made the decision based on the numbers, which was this, that wood and stone can be replaced, but the congregation cannot be replaced. And if we make this decision like this, we will be able to stay here and continue to pray and preach indefinitely until God destroys us. Uh, If we don't, we are are throwing the dice. We're basically going to say, we're going to risk it. We're going to say, maybe we'll be blessed doing the same thing we've been doing here for a long time. Uh, And uh, maybe we won't. The group did not decide that as a whole, although, as history would show, and it's pretty common anywhere where you have a move like this, not all the group was willing to stick around once the way they preferred things to be were not the way things were. And that's about the best vanilla construction I can put on it. Sorry, anybody who doesn't want me to say it that way. Um, But it is what it is. Sociology and the, the books about this kind of thing that study churches, they tell you to expect to lose 22%. 17 to 22% of your worshiping attendance. And uh, that's right about where we hit it. I thought we were going to make it for a while. I thought we were going to beat the odds. And then I just kept watching it. It was just like, tick, tick, 
to, to right, right to the T, like within a year, right? And so, um, it, it's you know, it is what it is. Uh, you do as a pastor everything you can. You don't come in anywhere wanting anyone to leave. But when someone says they're going to leave because the wooden stone matters more than the word and sacraments of Jesus, and they want to transfer the neighboring church, and the neighboring church wants to receive them, it's like, well. God bless you guys on that one. Good luck, right? You know, I'm not going to hold it against you. We're in fellowship with each other. I'm not going to make a stink about this. Um, amazingly, a stink has still been made about it in my name consistently throughout the entire thing. My, my name is sort of mud in some circles here, but what are you going to do? You know, you walk in and you say, this is the truth. And if people like to hide in the shadows and you know, kind of do their deeds in darkness and not have their record exposed the way you're willing to let yours be, uh, well, uh, they tend to not want that around, right? Uh, they don't want the transparency. And anyway, that's, that was too much. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough because in every place, there's a lot of complexity. I mean, who am I talking about? It could be the mayor of Rockford, right? Uh, and, and in some ways, there's a battle there that is going on that's even bigger than what it is talked about because once upon a time in Rockford, we got the abortion clinic removed. And man, are they going to, they're going to put it back. They just did some, there was one of those elections that was local here where all the votes changed overnight by like, 700 in a, in a race that was within 300, something like that, right? And, and the guy who is the Republican Latino ex-cop working on you know, police reform down in Springfield, he, he got put out by the DCFS uh, lawyer um, uh, who had friends in high places. And, and, and it's going to be about abortion. It's going to be about abortion. It's about getting that clinic back up here. So, so like, like, you know, the battles are battles and they keep coming at you no matter where you are. And where I've come in all of this is that if we're not going to be able to like forgive the Christian who's just decided to go ahead and be with whatever they're going to do over there because that's weird, but they'll still say Jesus is risen and pro-life is good and we're not so sure that we really want people telling us how to worship in our churches, government stay out of our buildings. Um, you know, people who believe that, I think we need to like support each other because things are getting dark, honestly, in that regard. Very, very dark. In fact, let me, let me take a drink of water here. What do I mean things are getting dark? Let me, let me cut it to the quick. abortion has been here for so long do you know how dark this is do you know how ready we are for the wrath of god we're pumping chemicals into children in the name of sexuality do you know what he did to the old testament because you think it was just there why do you think rome fell why do you think byzantium fell what was genghis khan doing right why did the nazis not win you know, and America thinks it's because America's great. No, it's because the Nazis were evil. <laughs> and so if you go and make yourself evil, well, it's a little late is the problem. It's a little late, America. I'm not here to try to get you to reform. I'm not here to try to get you to believe I'm a prophet because I'm not. I'm just telling you the history of cities is that they get evil and then they burn themselves to the ground or burn each other to the ground. And the Bible records this among a lot of other things, but it's really worth paying attention to at this time in history. This is not to say that every city is going to burn to the ground. This is just to recognize that it's getting pretty evil out there. I mean, there, there's a there's a apocryphal story about St. John, uh, the Apostle, the guy who wrote Revelation. Everyone wants to know what Revelation means. Oh, Revelation, it must give us secrets. Well, it does, but not the ones you want. Sorry. Just tells you Jesus is risen, you should trust in him, and that the government's going to be after you almost all the time, and that the false church is going to be after you almost all the time. That, that, that's mainly the lesson, but Jesus triumphs, so trust his word. That, that's in there too. Um, <laughs> oh, goodness. Now I went off on Revelation. 
uh, uh, I'm going to lose it because of Revelation. It's a great book. Everyone wants to know what it means. But the point is St. John, the apostle who wrote it, there's a story from, uh, I think it's from the guy who like sat at his feet. It's not Eusebius anyway. It might be in Eusebius though. You have to check me on this one. I'm sure someone in the comments can. So he's sitting in a bathhouse in Ephesus. St. John the Apostle, because, you know, that's what that's what you do when you're, you know, average middle class, pre-Turkish, Asia Minor-ish, Jew expatriate, is you, is you go to the, the bathhouse when you're old. It helps with your creak and bones, and there's no doubt about that. So, like, like we shouldn't shame him on this, but those bathhouses, you've been over those bathhouses, that's a different experience. I've been to one in Turkey, not Turkey, in uh, Hungary, excuse me, um, uh, but it's a Turkish bathhouse. Different experience, so let me tell you. If you haven't done it, you don't know. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, bring your own shorts. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, golly. Anyway, um, he's in one of these, and apparently also in this is an early false teacher. Now, I can't remember the guy's name. It's not Arius. He's way too late. But you got to think like Arius. Like he's that, is it, is it, I can't think of it. Anyway, think like it's Arius. You know, really bad. Like Jesus isn't God, false teacher. He's, he's super bad, false teacher. And uh, St. John, oh, now I'm, I'm doubting myself that St. John, and maybe it's his, his, his disciple. Anyway, point me. St. John is so afraid that the house is going to fall down on this false teacher to stop him from speaking his lies in public that he leaves in a haste without his towel and runs home as you would if you didn't have your towel on the way out of these bathhouses, um, privy, uh, all the way, screaming, wee, 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 the house will fall down on the, on the heretic. Now, Make what you will of that, as, as, as my rendition went. I mean, I, I will not hold myself up as Prince of Bards on that one. But, but <laughs> make what you will of it. The early church told that story a lot, enough that we still know it, more than on any other things about St. John the Apostle uh, or those who sat directly at his feet. And so, well, why was that? It was because they believed that there were real temporal punishments for wickedness and that you can't avoid them forever. You might be able to stave them off. A wicked man can hold things at bay for a time, but it will catch up. And a wicked city will have its wickedness catch up. And my point here again is, are you kidding me? We're bleeding babies so that we can make tests to inject into people. Think about it. Think about it. Old Testament style, for two minutes, pretend that you do believe there is an almighty God who's watching this stuff and gets involved from time to time. Stop being the pragmatic atheist who thinks that the God of wood and stone was just a joke and all the pagans were trying to reform their lives and make sacrifices at the very least for good reason, their own children for good because they believed there were results to these things. And so in that regard, this is the other thing to take with this. There is nothing that's not worship. I mean, you got to get this in your head. Biblically speaking, as a man, you are made to believe in, worship Jesus Christ. You'll do this by loving your fellow man. This is a fact. But as a fallen man, that is, without Jesus Christ, you will worship anything other than God. Everything and anything that makes you happy other than God. And only while it makes you happy, because you will also get very angry at these false gods whenever they don't make you happy. If you want to know what your false gods are, start tracing your anger. Look at it. Stop it. Like, I got angry. Why? It must be. What am I worshiping? What am I worshiping? Just try it sometime. You'll find out how many false gods that you, Christian, have as the spirit and the flesh do battle against each other. And I'm not here to try to, like, convince you, right, of that doctrine. You just have to know that that's true. Just stand in grace as a risen man, an adopted son who cannot fall. Your flesh is around your neck the whole way, who can drag you away, but Jesus will not let you have that happen. That's the fact. That's the election, right? Um, so, so hold on to that reality. Hold on to that reality. Ah, anyway, this is all about the congregation, right? So what I'm trying to say is 
there are enough things going on today that being worried about your building is about the most foolish thing you can possibly do unless it's making sure that if you've got one, one, you figure out why you want it and then you make sure you take really, really good care of it for that reason and no other reason. Uh, otherwise you're just, you're just spinning your tires like everybody else trying to build your, your, what your, uh, sales pitch, uh, spiritual gift store. Hey, come to my peers, come join my pyramid scheme. Mine's better than all theirs because we baptize babies. That's right. Wait, that doesn't work as a sales pitch. Huh? Maybe we should question that one too these days. Oh, wait, we do, don't we? Anyway, well, speaking of that, uh, I, I shouldn't have brought that up because that is not an intra-Lutheran argument Entirely, although it is, as I heard recently, which is amazing. Um, but uh, uh, the fact is, even what you believe about baptism, right? Unless you're a Mormon, huh? even what you believe about baptism and how we, we're going to argue about the when baptism happens, like you're not allowed to be baptized until this time because you're not smart enough and stuff. And God only wants smart people who make willful decisions for Jesus. Because the Bible says that lots, right? So even if you're going to take that position, right? Um, you're still getting baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? Like that's part of being a Christian. Like we're baptized. So we can all say like, like being a Christian means being baptized, right? And like, well, what about the people who aren't baptized? But they're going to get baptized, right? So, so being a Christian means, so, so we can build on this, <laughs> right? We can build on this. Uh, even though we can't commune together, even though we can't agree on everything, we can realize that those who believe that baptism into the name of Jesus Christ is what Jesus Christ wants and that it changes the world when we do this together, like, you want to argue about it or do you want to like just believe that's a thank god for that thank god for baptism thank god we're all taking the lord's supper still right 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 so thank god we're doing that thank god that even if you don't confess the creed because you think you're good enough to do it on your own well at least you didn't really disagree with what i said unless you're east orthodox and have that one little issue and they go ah well the schism started on your we'll go back we'll talk schism some other time we could agree on like most of that right I don't know. I, I just feel like now is the time to agree about what we agree about. Make your lists about disagreements and don't go against your conscience. Live not by lies. That's the point. But like realize that there are things that matter and then there are things that matter and then things that, there are things that matter. And it, that largely has to do with where they are. Like the proximity to you. So whether or not I will commune with you matters if we're going to commune together. Then we got to have that conversation. But if we're talking about maybe praying that all, <laughs> all the enemies of life in, on this shore, all those who would murder infants, that before their gods would bring fire from heaven upon them and, and waylay us with them, may they not repent of their ill mind, wake from their drunken stupor, See the evil blackness which they spill upon the earth and shed blood and shadow and change. And if not, may they be then cast down before they get us all killed. <laughs> I don't think it's wrong to pray that. I really don't. I, and I, I think we should pray it more often. And so that's where, here's my answer, right? What happened? Well, what happened is we're in a time of choosing. Baptists. Lutherans. We had this like ancient fight for a couple hundred years. It really is ancient though. Arminius and, and all. Um, he's not even that old. It's uh, Pelagian. We had this ancient fight about like the role of your will in 
what we believe. And even before we get to baptism and the baptism of infants, this is the thing we're really fighting about is the role of the will or the power of free will or things like that. What Lutherans have lost because of this fight is the backbone to realize we do have to exercise our will as Christians. <laughs> like, like once we're Christians, the will isn't like a free gift. The will is still your flesh and it must be disciplined and beaten, Paul says. And I don't mean necessarily physically, but like you do. You have to, you have to shove that tiger in a corner and tame it. Tell it what to do. Uh, and Lutherans have just lost that because we're, we're so insistent upon grace because, Baptists, we believe when you insist upon your will being the path to your salvation, we think that you're turning the will into a work, kind of the way you think that we're turning faith into a work when we argue with you guys. Um, it's kind of the same mistake, really. Uh, you think the mistake we're making is the one you're actually making. And so you're turning your will and your choice into your action to choose Jesus as the final thing by which you know you're saved. Well, that means you're saving yourself straight up. Right. And we're like, well, like it's like you're involved, man. Like you're, you're alive. You're right. You're not a robot. It's not fatalism. That's true. But, 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 but you're not the cause. Jesus saves you. Right. But that idea, that's what we don't agree on. That's what we got to talk about. Before we're going to talk about baptism, you got to talk about that. How's a man saved? Or, or do we have to stop and ask, did women get included in that question and get diverted by the arguments of the enemy? Oh, look at that. How is a man saved? Is it by his own volition from within? Or is it exclusively the purview of the Almighty Savior who saves the one dead, unclean, cannot save himself? All that. Right? Now, grace alone. I mean, don't accuse me of not saying it. It's grace alone. It's, it, Jesus is the cause. Augustine made this argument against Pelagius for that reason. And even though Augustine has much in him that is dross, much Greek philosophy that I think continues to make the modern world what it is, it should be rejected outright, uh, particularly when it comes to ionic concepts. <laughs> uh, in, in spite of that, Augustine realized and, and said very biblically, and on behalf of the church, and the church has agreed with him, kept him for these reasons against Pelagius that the ultimate cause of your salvation must be Jesus Christ. It's just, there's just no other way around it because he is the man who died and rose again. There's going to be a question I think later about that. So we'll save that for now. You know, why only Jesus and not others? But then the Jesus only being the cause, that being what grace is, it means that your experience of your will, I am me, right? Uh, as a Christian it will ever be a response to that is enlivened by the Spirit. Oh, that felt great. The Spirit going into you by word, right? Like you don't just kind of come to Jesus and be like, well, one day I'm bored. and Oh, I'm going to believe in Jesus. And you've never heard about him before. It's not how it works, right? The, the word of God, the scriptures are in your hearing given. And the Holy Spirit comes upon you in that way. Period. That's how it happens. You repeat it. You tell the story. You translate it. The Holy Spirit comes upon you and your will goes, I believe that. Now, as soon as your will has gone, I believe that, that's a good thing. That means you've been saved now. <laughs> that means you're awake. You know, a little splash of water on the face, do you some good right away. Kind of tell the truth. But, but the point being, it is like that. It's this, I believe now. But that moment is not the cause. 
you know you believe now because the believing word has already come to you and given it to you, right? If you can get that, we can solve a lot of problems of division in the American Christian church, straight up, if you can get through that problem. Um, so, you know, as opposed to what do we do? How many buildings are we going to try to save over the next hundred years? Christians. I'm talking all the Christians right now. How many of our buildings do we need? Really? I mean, you saw what happened in Russia under communism, right? If it's not here, it sure smells like it, and it sure could be, and you might want to think about it. Don't assume it's always going to be just free land for more sale. Oh, we all have the money we want because... Don't, don't assume that. Don't assume that. The money's not coming in. We've been talking about that for decades, at least in Archer's body. And down goes the money, down goes the money, goes the money. Which buildings are you going to save? It's not, it's not going to be all of them, right? So that's where that question goes to. And the more we decide we're going to try to save all the wood and stone, while not saving our houses or letting our children inherit those... <laughs> Yeah, the, the more it will show, the more it will show uh, where our God really is. It's a really difficult question. It really is. There's no easy answer because every individual basically has to has to reckon with it on their own. There are Christians attending that church that we left. I don't by any stretch believe they're not a church. They're being saved, served by a pastor who preaches the resurrection of Jesus, the body and blood of Jesus that he is consecrating. I don't have any reason to suspect it's not there, right? Uh, they're, that's, that's what it is. Um, we are now weaker. We are, we are less when we could have been more right? um, as a congregation. Uh, then again, maybe not. Maybe this is right, right? And then in some ways it has blessed us in ways we didn't expect. So all of that is to say, wherever you are, though, I mean, really, what is the faithful thing to do? What is the faithful thing to do? To insist that you're the only one that can do something or to partner with those who are already doing it well? And I won't even go there with locally how that worked out, but there's some good, some real good that came out of this when we let go uh, from our end. So anyway, uh, let's move on. Heather says this. Hi, our LCMS congregation is calling a pastor. Yeehaw, what a time. I can't even imagine right now. I mean, I've moved enough, right? I can't even imagine trying to contemplate a call right now. That would be just really, really challenging. There has been a transition team appointed by our intern pastor from district, Okay, cool. Uh, They are going through the Hopeful Neighborhood Hybrid Church Experience and Five Changing Contexts for Digital Evangelism. Hmm. I don't know what any of that means. Uh, that That sounds a lot like... I once saw a legal document that was made to look like it was selling a really important company that didn't seem to really exist in the legal document. It was, it was a bit of a confusing thing. But the more I looked at it, I was like, this, this doesn't mean anything. And uh, this is like also, if you've ever sat through like high-end gender studies or read gender studies papers, right? The, or the stuff where they're able to submit fake ones that are gobbledygook and they get passed into the journal, if you ever hear that. Um, that's what this is, but in church. So that's really cool. I'm sure everyone involved is going to be really meaning well with this program. Um, it, I, it doesn't sound like the Bible to me, and that is the concerning thing. I, I, I guess I might say you might want to go through something like the book of First and Second Timothy uh, about pastoral ministry and, and what that looks like in relationship with the congregation. But I don't know. I'm not in that position, right? That's just what I think maybe might be a good idea. Um, 
along with the hopeful neighborhood hybrid church experience and five changing contexts for digital <laughs> digital evangelism. They're so done. Sorry. Uh, organic search is dead, guys. Organic search is dead. Dead, 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 dead. Um, Heather uh, goes on and says, is there a past video or anything you can create that I may share with this transition team as they look to call a pastor for our congregation? No, I don't, I don't think I can. I think anything you would try to share with them for me would come off as wrong. Honestly, um, I'm not the I'm not the message deliverer for what makes up most LCMS uh, um, call committees. Uh, it's just, I mean, right now, like this, I could go put on my LCMS face and look and talk like I'm supposed to in the LCMS and make a video. And then they would, they would trust me because I had a caller on a screen and then it'd be just like, whatever he says must be mostly true. Um, <laughs> but, but I don't think that that's really a good idea either. I think what I've said already is probably what you should do. You should ask them if they would contemplate while they're doing this, also studying the books of first and second Timothy, maybe throwing Titus in. That together as a group, they should read this and have, have if nobody else wants to teach it, right? Just suggest, have them all pretend they're going to read it together. Have them all say they're going to read it, put it on the agenda, and then they cannot do it. But at least they will have intended it, right? Um, that would be better than nothing. And again, I'm pretty sure that if you go into this this program that they bought from somebody or developed in-house or whatever it is, but it's, it's definitely from like mega checks, mega, mega church book list reading. I, I, you can just smell it. Um, changing the word change is there. I mean, you want me to answer this question? Honestly, I wrote a book about how change is bad, right? <laughs> uh, I think without flesh gets into that quite a bit too. Uh, and, and this one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never follow a rule that makes you, uh, repeat it again and again and again and again. Uh, so uh, man, revivalism dies hard. So I don't know what you want me to do. Uh, I, I can't possibly tell you these words are good words or, or bode well, but I'm pretty sure that the person who has this packet is going to say, but there's Bible verses in it. And that's true. There, there probably will be Bible verses in it that will not be a careful read through of first, second Timothy and, and Titus, which would just do you all a lot of good. If you, if you really want to call a pastor and work with him when he gets here and you want a guy who's going to be faithful, uh, just expect him to really love that book and believe that book's true. If you go through this other process, you might get a guy who doesn't believe what's in that book is true. And that would be okay for both congregations then if you really felt that way about it. And um, yeah, I, I, ah, the times are tough, aren't they? The times are tough. I, it, it's so obvious when you're sitting on the couch. It's so obvious, but it's not as easier when you're really there. And so I do not in any way want to act as if my opinion actually matters on this issue. Other than that, I think it's a great idea that any congregation entering a call process could read through the pastoral epistles together and it would do more good to read the Bible together than anything else we could do because the Bible is inspired and without error and everything else we do even as good as the hopeful neighborhood hybrid church experience and five changing context for digital evangelism, as good as it is, it is not inspired and without error. So if we could begin with inspired and without error, and then perhaps consider uh, praying, right? Uh, asking God to bless the whole thing first. That would be the thing I'd really throw in there. Like there should always be prayers of repentance, basically during a call process. Cause whatever you need to repent of, you don't know what it is. And that's the thing. And if you, if you could find that before your next pastor gets there, it might go better, right? So just trying to discover where you've been lazy or been led kind of astray by lukewarmness because every pastor's got blind spots. It's when I, when I die or leave this place, there will be blind spots. There's no question there's going to be blind spots. So why would you not in that interim pray 
uh, pray repentance. I mean, that's what they do when the Pope dies. And, and he's the Antichrist, according to my confession. I mean, he, not personally, but his office. And, and so, like, they repent and pray for his soul. I mean, God bless the people for at least thinking that far ahead. Um, maybe maybe we should do that, too. James would be another good book to throw in just for that reason. I hope that helps, Melinda. But I, I really don't recommend ever having one of my answers that you feel answers a question for you be the one you give to somebody as a suggestion um, unless you know they're starving for it, right? Unless, because I'm just, I'm, uh, it's too raw. It's just too raw. It's too raw. Um, and, and that's why, that's why the show's good. It's what you enjoy is like Lutheran Joe Rogan, right? Um, although uh, not enough engaging guests, but uh, what you like is you're watching me struggle in real time with our reality. And I'm telling you what I think. And that changes. If you watch my show, it's not like I'm always thinking the same thing. I'm always preaching the same thing. And I think that's what you like too. Uh, so that's what pulls people into this thing. But then to try to take that personality and shove it in front of a group of people that come from a lot of different positions that have maybe no context with, I don't know what this flag means, right? I mean, as it's there, um, that's like more of a hurdle than if you can absorb just one or two points from what I say, write it down. Write it down again and then say it yourself. The power that gives to another person, not in the sense of like, they're like, I'm powerful. But what it does is it goes in their head and it rattles around. It starts to work. <laughs> starts to do something. Yeah. Stop thinking that we have to show somebody some other thing. Let's let's put on VBSs and we can show the kids videos about Jesus and that'll be our mission for the week. Right. Forget that. How about you tell your kids about Jesus at dinner once? You know, I mean, it's... It, it's, we, we boast about all that we're going to do. And it's, James just, just condemns us so much on this. And that's where I'm like, I'm praying for me, right? And so, again, what you're, what you're getting in this moment here is the fact that I want to walk with all of you <laughs> in our Christianity unashamedly. And so, wherein there, this show is a show, uh, and, and this is entertainment, and it has to be because that's the medium. And there's no way around that. And if you don't believe me, then go read Postman. Grr. It's entertainment. No matter what we do, the fact that the church thinks we're going to do more with digital entertainment to save people now than we were doing, I think that's kind of confusing. But the fact is, it is what it is. And what's going to be what I use it for straight up. This is my plan. This is not accidental. It maybe is mad off the rocker, but if you haven't noticed, it's even my moniker to be mad now. So, so whatever, incise your gates and let the spittle flow. The point is, I want to have a dialogue with everybody about the fact that Christianity in America looks pretty broken, and I'm tired of trying to make money on it. I, I mean, I wrote these books to help people, but really, the reason they haven't is because we have to make money on them to get them out. I, God bless the people who did the editing. I'm not saying that's not the that's the issue. My point is the whole Christian system in America is part of this casino trying to make money. <laughs> I'm kind of done with that one. And I'm pretty sure that like the way that you get done with that one is you say, that's the way it is. And we should talk and be honest about the way we see it. And that means if we really disagree, we should really disagree and vehemently disagree as brothers. If we all confess the same Christ who rose from the dead, father, son, and spirit, if we can all be baptized in the same name, even if we go our separate way as tribes every Sabbath, so be it. But like, uh, well, we need to be free in Jesus uh, to confess what we believe Scripture says and uh, to be rebuked. 
to be rebuked. And that means that you got to be able to grow, which means you got to be able to take that rebuke when it comes. And so I have very intentionally adopted the position of model for you. Uh, the one who gets to sit here and get shot at a little bit for this. But I hope that by seeing it, right, you can also just be encouraged. So what if a bunch of people on the internet don't think you're right? Why are you on the internet with a bunch of people you don't really know? Now, some of them you do, some of you have met, and there's a great use of the network. Have you heard of the Mad Christian Discord? I highly recommend it, although it ought to be your last stop on the internet too. <laughs> uh, uh, but if you, you know, it's, it's not that we can't use these tools. But we really got to understand their limitations, uh, especially when it comes to the church, to grow the church, to help the church. Uh, ever since we started putting these things in the church, the church has gone downhill. I mean, causation is not correlation. It's not. And I understand that. And if you don't, look it up. You can find it. It's all sorts of stuff from Tim Ferriss about it. <laughs> causation is not correlation. But there have been a number of things over the last 100 years that all the Christians in America together have gotten rid of. And then we've also seen a lot of things go wrong. <laughs> and I, I just think maybe, maybe part of our path is ask what fell down and maybe try to put it back up. And let me suggest that trying to make money on the church's growth We should all just search our hearts on that one, especially if you're in ministry, really. I know a lot of guys haven't either, but you know how it is, your breadbasket. You worry about what you're going to say to this person or that person because you know one way or the other if they leave and the money and this and it's my future and that's tomorrow and a story that causes fear. So, so we all have this reality. But the people who are not pastors, you have it worse, actually. So the pastors are all worried about it, like, for the sake of Jesus, for the church, like, all the time. But at least their mammon's tied to Jesus in the church. Yours isn't. Yours is, like, off on its own, doing its own thing, right? Like, swinging around, coming back to church sometimes. When I feel like it. Oh, today I don't. Eh, I don't feel like it today. Yeah, holy God gave me all this stuff. I don't want to sit in here and use it. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have your own jeopardy, right? And the jeopardy's greed. Jeopardy's always going to be greed. Right up there with pornea. Right, right up there with the thing you shouldn't be watching on the internet at all. Thing you shouldn't be doing with someone you're not married to. Uh, right up there with that uh, uh, is greed. Greed, greed, good greed. I am convinced, I am convinced, I am convinced. We, we have for hundreds of years since we came to this country in that casino that you hear Pastor Kuntz and I talk about in um, A Brief History of Power, the blessing of land in this place, the real estate game that the church has been privy to is now coming to an end. And so we had a lot of financial capacity that we thought was just cuz. And it's not going to be here. And if we can't come to terms with that, we will not be here as churches. Uh, uh, our kids certainly are already showing uh, us where they think our gods are. Because kids do what you do. Just worse. <clears throat> Usually. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, Judas says this. I was that for a downer, guys? Jeez, Jonathan. Uh, good morning, peoples. Uh, the third is the... That is... Aha, aha. Hold on, let me move this so we can see the front one from Judith. There we go. Dear Pastor Fisk, I think the name just got switched around. See that? Yeah. Uh, dear Pastor Fisk... <coughs> excuse me. Uh, your videos have enabled me to see the law and gospel in a whole new light. I'm very grateful for your continuing ministry. It has helped me walk a tightrope between my four sons-in-law. So all the ones that were, were married, right? Uh, married out. Um, 
Thank you for saying that. Uh, I'm, I'm just dwelling on your your uh, feedback's the wrong word. It's positive, positive comment. Uh, positive comments don't come as often as you'd like them to in life, right? And every negative comment usually weighs for something like seven positive comments, something like that. So I'm just I'm just taking a moment to let you sink in a little bit. Um, the first escaped fanatical Seventh Day first on a lot escaped fanatical Seventh Day Adventism. And has traveled and worked extensively in third and fourth world countries. He struggles with Jesus being the only way to salvation after witnessing the faith and devotion of people who belong to other world religions. So, by the way, all this is going to have a Seventh-day Adventist flavor, which is like it's its own can of worms and one I don't claim to be a pro at. I know just enough to be dangerous and to offend them (laughs) in a conversation by disagreeing and be like, well, I'm pretty sure you teach this. And then be like, no, we don't. Yeah, you do. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, so I'm not going to dig into the Seventh Day Adventism per se here, other than I will point out that Helen White uh, is the prophet who foretold and put into place veganism as we have it today, and that the Seventh Day Adventist Church does, uh, through Kellogg's and others, promote a certain diet that was not the norm for human creatures until they promoted it uh, worldwide right now, and that it might just have something to do with diabetes. I, you know, that's just me putting pieces together from a bunch of stuff I read on the internet, which is very dangerous. Um, but I can tell you Helen White did make that prophecy and that you're not supposed to eat red meat and that the Seventh-day Adventists are definitely involved uh, politically with a lot of money trying to make sure people stop eating red meat, like taking it away. That does exist. <laughs> and uh, so, yay for that. I disagree with that. I like meat. Anyway, uh, your, your son-in-law has escaped their world, the fanatical Seventh-day Adventism cult world, um, and then has done and worked in third and fourth world countries. So he's getting to see like real life, right? Uh, and he struggles with Jesus being the only way because he sees the devotion of these people to their religion. So what he's seen is piety, piety to foreign gods, fear of God. He sees fear of God and he thinks, therefore, Jesus can't be the only way to salvation. It's amazing since he's there and he knows about Jesus, who is the only way of salvation and doesn't think it's important to tell these people that they're worshiping dead people usually, or animations and spirits that are demons, or animals and trees, which are spirits of their own kind, in a sense. And so all of that is might be beautiful, right? I mean, I'm sure it's beautiful praying to that tree for whatever you pray to the tree for. And it might even work. But then on the last day, when the king of all men holds all accountable according to the perfect code, which is the free gift of his blood to buy us from our utter wicked demonic rebellion against him. If all you got is your prayers to the tree, it's just some prayers to a tree, right? And, and this is where this I mentioned earlier this question would come up. Why is Jesus the only way? I say I get tired of saying it. Not for you, Judith. And um, not for any Christian, I will, but that the world is so obtuse, so obtuse. Why is Jesus the only way? Who else? Who else died and rose again? Didn't die again. Who? Show me. Just show me the claim, right? Don't tell me Mithras, the, 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 the eternal made up idea. No, no, no. The dude, the, the man, the guy, the babe born of woman. Babe with the power. How's it go? Yeah. 
David Bowie, I think. Right, right. You get that? Yeah. So, I mean, all, all things foretell him, even David Bowie. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jesus is the only way because he's the only one to beat death. And you find someone else who is able to say, I am a man and I have walked out of the tomb of death after you killed me because I'm God. So show it here. Do it. Bring it. Oh, I'm ready for it. I don't want it, but I'm ready for it. <laughs> Take the cup. Oh, I got to do it. Okay. Right. There's nothing like that in anything ever. Ever. Go find it. Show me. Everything's a pale reflection of that. Why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only one who beat death. He's the only way to what, I guess, is the question. And that's maybe the thing. Your, your son-in-law here doesn't know what salvation is. He has not defined it for himself. He thinks it's like a happy life of piety with maybe stuff, but then he realized these people don't have stuff and they're happier than he was with stuff. And so he just thinks a simple life with family would be really great, which frankly, Jesus agrees with that for the most part, right? Like a simple life with family, a quiet life, that was pretty clear. That's what we want. Uh, you don't, you don't want to be high and glorious with the warriors of old. I mean, no, 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 no. Um, that's, that's not, it's not really what you want. I mean, David got it. Solomon got it. It's hard, you know, it's hard. And it, and it didn't last with men. So, uh, what he has to figure out is what he thinks salvation is and, and what he believes already, what he has come to believe already is salvation is the experience of today. And these people are giving him an experience of the day that he envies and desires to uh, acclimate. He has begun the quest for his own holiness. And in this quest for his holiness, he will go to no end to prove himself. So uh, buckle down, because if he takes this seriously, he's going to end up in India, or he should, if he's honest. If he really is, as an American with the ability, he's going to end up in India. He's going to end up sitting at the feet of some really strange people in India for a long time. Maybe up in Tibet, I don't know, right? Um, that's where, if you're really going to get into it and be like, okay, Yep, these people know something I don't know. Well, then, you know, he's going to get busy, and you should expect that and be proud of him if he does it, although it's not salvific at all. It's, it's horrible. But see that that's his manhood striving to, to undo the, the doppelganger jabberwocky of his past and what he was told about how if he ever left the Seventh-day Adventist church, he'd go to hell, right? Because that's kind of how it goes. So, so there, um, figuring out what his salvation is, and, I mean, do I need to say it again? The only reason to be a Christian is that Jesus isn't dead. That's it. Like all the other things are fringe benefits. And if you make them the main thing, they will buckle and collapse. Now I can tell you that the article on which the church stands or falls is the fact that this is a free gift to be received by faith alone. So I, you know, if you're, if you're going to try to turn this into your own thing, we can go off on that corner. But really before we get to people attacking the faith, we should, we should like talk about it. Right. And the faith is this, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And that's because he is God and Lord of all things. And it, from the beginning it is now and, and ever shall be. And the proof of that is the fact that he has beaten death for you. And if you don't think that's good enough as proof and a sign in history with all the work you can go do in archaeology and scholarship to see how that is, it's on you that you just would rather worship the trees. You know, I mean, I like my trees. I've really been realizing they're more than just like plastic green things that God put there to like be pretty. Like they're, they're, they're amazing. Anyway, um, uh, so going on though, you got to cut more of these guys, right? So the next is a Seventh-day Adventist pastor's son who has tried to shake off those shackles and has thrown himself into the church of Christ where he is a lay preacher. So, okay. I, I really don't know the church of Christ. Um, Frisbee mentioned like in the comments is that because there's a couple of them that use those names and some of them are anti-Trinitarian. And I, one approach is try to learn all the alphabet soup. The other approach is to realize the alphabet soup is about to go away except for in very, very small pockets. 
And so it really doesn't matter what you've memorized. They're going to believe whatever you, they believe where you find them, which is probably what the Church of Christ has been doing all along anyway, right? Uh, something, something like that. So uh, he's a lay preacher. Cool. You know, he's got a Bible, right? Like that's probably better than Seventh-day Adventism was, given what your next questions are going to say. Um, again, I, I mean, I'm no expert on Seventh-day Adventism, but the third is a scion of an SDA pastoral family. Scion is an awesome word. I'm not even sure I, I can I can place it in this sentence because I thought it meant something like very powerful, but it's pretty cool. It's a cool looking word. I hope I'm a scion of something because it's just awesome. He is a cultural Adventist and has quietly borne all that. Oh, maybe I don't. Maybe science is a bad word. <laughs> There's your context. This is how you pass your SAT, kids. Um, he is a cultural Adventist and has quietly borne all that life has thrown at him by losing himself in reading novels. Right. So he, he has accepted his bond servitude and slavery with a, with a cheerful heart and realized that the promise of America is that entertainment shall wave as long as you do what you're told outside and that uh, there is indeed a lot of fantasy that can keep you from seeing reality for a very long time if you're willing to uh, suspend your belief, which, by the way, blue screen's particularly good at helping you do. So, uh, well, so it's pretty standard dude, right? Like, that's kind of what most American guys are, uh, is uh, houseboys, right? Houseboys. Um, and it, it's about largely uh, the attack against fatherhood and masculinity. That's a big part of it. But you know, what else is a man to do? Uh, he is to obey above all things. And so because he's striving to do that uh, and yet doesn't really know how to handle whatever else is going on, you know, whatever in life is going on that you don't want to see, you retreat in order to not see it. So you can say, I'm, you know, oh, I'm going to go have a drink. You can say, oh, I'm going to go do this. You can say, oh, I'm going to go do that. Uh, read this, watch that, all this stuff. The fact is life takes time to work through. And even if you didn't have problems when you started binge watching Netflix, you probably have some now you didn't realize you grew in the meantime, these last 12 years, right? And so that's just something to kind of see in this, um, that for him, his struggle is going to be, he will be unfulfilled by this and it will get darker for him. Uh, the fantasy will not suffice by and large in all likelihood. I mean, some people just, they can, they can just sit and stare at it all the time. Okay. But, but if he's got any kind of gumption, he'll, he'll feel that he needs to do more. And that'll be the place where you can encourage him, basically, uh, to just read more that's not make-believe. Read some history of Christianity. That might be a nice place to start for him. You know, where did Christianity come from before the Seventh-day Adventists? How did it fall away, right? How, how did it all go wrong? Or, oh, just like my coffee. Oh, spilling coffee. This is so much coffee. We're going to take a break while I clean my coffee. We'll come back. We'll get the rest of this from Judith here. So, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of fixed my problem. Uh, that's the wrong thing. We're going to get back to <laughs> – this is real TV. Uh, we're going to get back to Judith's question about her Seventh-day Adventist family, uh, sons-in-laws, people that, that her daughters have married into, and how to, how to think about their search for Christianity uh, in the midst of all of that. So I spilled my coffee. I was very excited. I don't even remember where I was in that. But we were dealing with this young man who is uh, – Basically being dutiful at the moment to his uh, captivity. And you know that if you're trying to escape, you do. If you're trying to escape, then you're in captivity to something. Um, guilty as charged, you know. And uh, what that is, is, is up to all of us to figure out. 
so, you know, he will be able to hide as long as he needs to. But what you really want for him is that he would discover enough of his pain, not be able to bury enough of his pain that he will be able to see the need for salvation, right? But of course, being within a family that is, is going to remain Adventist, uh, all you can do is say he is risen <laughs> and, and continue to promise that that is a, a fact that has saved them. Because ultimately, that's what they don't believe, right? Ultimately, it's about uh, fear and control. And what it is needs to be about, Christianity, is about the unleashing and the freedom of the conscience uh, that wants to do the right thing, but not because it's being forced to by fear and control. So that's kind of the best I got there for you, Judith. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to be. It's, it's kind of a, a wide topic. But the issue of fantasy escapism and the loss of masculinity in America probably go hand in hand as correlation and events connected to each other, if not causation, right? So for what that is worth, I mean, if you think you can jump over a wall by pushing a button and then you never go out and jump over walls at all when you could have, you know, you kind of lose the ability, that kind of thing. Uh, So the last of these boys was born into a Greek Orthodox church, but became Adventist when his mother converted. Interesting. Um, his faith has been revived through the teachings of a SDA theologian who believes that the purpose of the cross was to demonstrate how much God loves us. When we see that love, we are drawn to God and become his friends. Yeah. So what this tells me, if that takes hold in your, in the Seventh-day Adventist church body, um, it ain't long for being anything other than a financial shell, if, if it isn't already. Um, that is the path that mainline liberal Protestantism took right as it became, you know, kind of Catherine Jeffrey Swarry, Episcopalian, we don't even need to open, we are representatives and priests of the culture kind of thing. And, uh, uh, and, and that's all they are. Uh, so the idea that there is no atonement, oh, here, here, you go on to say this. If, if the mention of the word propitiation, if I mention the word propitiation, there are fireworks, and I'm told that word wasn't meant to be in the Bible. I'm curious how that argument is made, that it's not meant to be in the Bible. Does he mean the Greek is wrong? When it says it doesn't say propitiation, that's true. It, it does have an exchange payment Greek meaning. So you wouldn't have to say propitiation. You could say something like satisfaction uh, and and whatnot. So, um, but he says it's not supposed to be in the Bible. So I I, I don't know. He means like the Greek word wasn't there and and someone crossed it off and put it in, but the Seventh-day Adventist found the real one, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, Joseph Smith found some golden plates too. Which one of you should I trust? You both seem like salesmen to me. Why don't you go further West? Oh, wait a minute. There's no more West to go and they settled and now they're taking over the world. Hmm. That's an interesting actual history. Um, so in any case, uh, uh, there is no law or wrath of God. He says a substitutionary atonement makes us servants, not friends of God. So, and that's the argument, right? So I love it. I love going backwards on this one. So his argument is that if you're going to say there's a propitiatory atonement, then therefore that would mean we are slaves of Jesus. And that can't be true because we're his friends. I rest my case and I'm going to be like, yeah, I rest it right back, dude. <laughs> like there's no way like you can have a slave and be his friend. First off, second off, uh, you can have a friend and be his slave. Uh, third off, Jesus apostles all introduce themselves as bond servants or slaves of Jesus. And they proclaim to you that that is the gospel. So if your argument is that it can't be true because the result is what the Bible says, but the Bible wasn't meant to say all the things the Bible says, you're in a cult. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? I don't know what else to tell you on that one. Uh, and, and, and of course, Judith, I think that's probably why you're asking this a little bit. And I don't expect this to really be the thing that you show your, your son-in-law. Please don't. I, I mean, it's true. Maybe it's what he needs. Maybe it's what he needs. He finds it randomly. He's like, oh my goodness, that's grandma. Right? I mean, I don't know. Um, but uh, to argue against the propitiatory atonement of Jesus Christ is like arguing against there being a Bible. And, and you're going to have to do that at a certain point. Uk istia elton. Agarestata gar temes. Okay, so uk, not. Istia, you are yauton, yourself. Agarestata. You can hear the word agora in there. Not agoraphobia, like being afraid of marketplaces, but agora, marketplace, although here's the purchase. Uk istia elton, agarestata. That's you. You were marketed gar temes for a price. 1 Corinthians 6. 19 and 20, look it up. It ain't even about propitiation, but the whole Bible, people. The whole Bible. That one just happens to be my confirmation verse, so I have it in Greek. I'll get rest of the guard to mace. Don't tell me that I was not bought for a price. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is the very heart of what it is to be a Christian. So I'm sorry, Judith, that they, you know, he's so vociferously against Christianity with this amazing liberal theologian he found who's just parroting, you know, 1920s Methodism or Episcopalianism. Wow. Oh, they're going to they're going to fix the world with that one. I tell you, sorry for the snark, but like, really, Uh, what else can you do? And this is an entertainment show after all. So at the but here, here, I do want to say this sarcasm doesn't fix nothing. Sarcasm has become the tool of the conservative mind to fantasize that it will all pass if we just sit still long enough. I'm not going to say that one again. You can rewind it and listen to it. But that one's worth listening to. The whole show is worth it for what I just said. Um, it, uh, if this all makes you dizzy, Judas says, if you have any thoughts, I, I'm sure they would be strengthening. Well, I hope they were. And it should make you dizzy because the world is a crazy place. I had to come to a conclusion as I adopted the posture of madness as an entertainment factor in order to try to fly under the radar of the encroaching communist smackdown on anybody who questions the mainstream narrative, and that would then be the abortion narrative. So in preparation for this, I have prepared myself to be a bit odd, so that I can just say when they come to take me away, I'm in fact weird. Yes, very, very weird, crazy. In fact, you probably, I'm probably harmless. This is not accidental that I, I mean, look I'll tell you it and then I'll pretend it's not true the next moment as a show right that's the, the point of the madness though the reason I'm adopting madness Judith is because the world's nuts absolutely bonkers off the charts they don't make any sense look at the zombies run like nuts which means if you're not they're gonna think you are so you might as well get used to it <laughs> And, and kind of have a little fun while you're at it. Uh, if the zombies are going to be what they are, uh, not those who come running through your window and jugular grab you to just eat you death, but instead of the ones that are going to yammer at you, both from and through your little blue window to the universe, well, that's fine. If, if they all want to do that and destroy their city... I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to go, I'm going to stay right where I am. I'm going to be ready to help them after they destroy it. I'm going to tell them they're destroying it while they're destroying it. And when they get upset about it, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm crazy. <laughs> right? So Judith, 
don't feel bad that your head is spinning. Adopt the position. I can't keep up with all of that. But what I know is he has risen, and you are paid for, and he won't be long now. I'm out of order, I guess, but uh, you're, you're still immortal anyway, right? Water seals it. Food feeds it. That's Christianity. So going back, when, when I kind of am talking about finding where we agree, is I don't, I don't pretend to start some new ecumenical movement that's going to unify all the churches before Jesus comes back. I think we're duty-bound to try. I do. Just because the last one failed uh, doesn't mean we're not bound to try. But I don't pretend to have the, you know, the insight to make that occur. You pray for it. You should. But I do think that we should try to help other Christians stand right now, whatever that means. We got to stop fighting each other because of the land grab, trying to hold our buildings open, and realize that we're at each other's throats over things that ultimately are just our personal opinions. And when those things are taken from us by God Himself, we've got no one to blame but ourselves. That's my posture. You know, if, if you think, well, oh, Pastor, you don't see him yourself. He's changing so much. Yeah. I, how many times like I said, I repented of my trust in Caesar. I will give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Make no mistake. I got no intention to shoot at Caesar. <laughs> I pray for Caesar every week. I just don't trust Caesar. And I never will again, and I never should have. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I guess they put me on the bottle when I was six, and I just had to stare at it. Ah, trust Caesar. Ah, trust Caesar. Ah, trust Caesar. He is good. We're going to space. Yeah. Right? Oops, it blew up. Oh. Well, we got basketball. Yeah. Right? And you just ignoring reality <laughs> the whole way. Where's the food coming from? I don't know. How does it get here? I'm not sure. Is it animals? Yes, that's gross. Is it normal to think that in history? No, not even close. Is it because you're better and wiser than everyone who came before you? <laughs> you don't even read. <laughs> you know? As, and, and, and I'm talking to me. I'm talking to me. And so if you think I don't see myself, it's because, again, I believe that we have to be really honest about who we are right now. Any pretension is not going to work. And so where your congregation is, I'm not saying walk in and be a jerk. Don't take one little thing I say and go on a tirade against somebody with it. But you have to begin to stop being afraid of being wrong in front of each other. Right? We have to be able in our churches to disagree about things that are outside our churches and to still love each other and receive forgiveness for the things we know are wrong. We need to not shut our doors to certain classes or groups of people because we think they are unclean. <laughs> we need to remember what got us here, which wasn't the Constitution of the United States of America, nor was it Martin Luther's 95 Theses, nor was it the Nicene Creed. It was Jesus' promise that he's going to build his church, and that goes all the way back to our free will question earlier, who you think you are. When the king comes and calls you, you get up or you don't. Don't you dare say it's because you're a good person and because you made the decision. Get over that. He called you. You're up. Yes, Lord, what may I do? Make good decisions from now on. Yes, sir, I'll try. <laughs> now that I'm not dead, now that I'm not a zombie and alive, now it's time to realize just how hard it is to make good decisions and why it's such a good thing you don't have to rely on yourself to make the one that raises you from the dead because you wouldn't have made it.
but it's great to know you've been raised from the dead and that now to some extent you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. Now you can tell yourself that you do because technically you do. You can throw it away. There are plenty of warnings in the Bible about how you can throw it away. I recommend you read them and repent lest you do. And then you should read the things in the Bible about how you're not going to throw it away and believe that with everything that you are. Pray it like it's all that you are. Make it your posture and your words. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. But I know I want. So what? Say it again. Say it again and say it again. I once watched a TED Talk from this lady who did this all this research about posturing and how if you make certain postures and stand certain ways, the confidence eventually builds up and you're able to really do more than you imagine you can do. And she was actually using herself as the example of this, that she was afraid to speak and was there doing the TED Talk, all this stuff. And I remember sometime later seeing information about how her study was never replicated. It was never able to be shown to actually work. I found that very interesting, too, as I then saw the study nonetheless reference one, two, maybe three times by people as if it were true. And it really got me thinking about the Holy Spirit, who, in fact, does this <laughs> with words. That if you just take those words and eat them and spit them out, particularly the Psalms, if you haven't tried it yet, Say them like they're your prayers because Jesus told you they're your prayers. But I don't understand how this part can be prayed. It doesn't matter. Go past it. Do you understand everything you read always? Are you so wise? Go past it. Let the Holy Spirit intercede for you. But learn to open your mouth, right? Learn to be the voice. Everyone wants to say, oh, Jesus is in my heart. Why doesn't he come out? <laughs> Let him out to play. Everyone wants to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Be his mouth to you to your own ear in your home. Pray, right? Pray. Pray out loud. And that, uh, Judith, it's mad. Literally. Everything's going wrong. Pray about it. Well, that won't get anything done. So most people tend to believe. Like, until they just need a miracle, right? But I'm saying pray before the miracle. <laughs> before you need to like have the kidney transplant, right? Or whatever it is, whatever it is. Like pray now that when you die, you die with vigor. That when you have struggle, you struggle as a Christian. That if there be a terrible war coming, that you be prepared to love your enemies. That if there be a terrible war coming, God would not because you've asked him not to and he's promised to listen to you. The power that you have without opening your mouth to any of these people is very important to own. Because why would you open your mouth rightly when you've not prepared yourself to know you're not the one that's going to save them? By long and painful endurance of them not being who you wish they were. Right? Election means God does it. Predestination means God does it. All of this makes a ton of sense if we just understand it's talking about the gospel and nothing else. That when Jesus comes along to you, you are dead. And he says, I'm alive. And you're like, whoa, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. Hey, that's Jesus. That's how it all works from the foundation. And all our disagreements can largely be fixed if we can agree on that point and then move forward from there. And I'm not saying we're going to do that on the show or this week or this year. I am saying that if you're listening to this and you're not a Lutheran, 
Think about that one point a lot. Because I'm saying all our disagreements are because of that. And if you're not in disagreement with me on that, well, sacramentarianism is a is a tricksy thing. <laughs> it's a tricksy thing. Uh, you know, the, the ability to moralize never goes away. And Lutherans are by no means free of it. We've moralized ourselves into dogmatics uh, in such a way that no one knows what we're talking about anymore. And even us, <laughs> right? Uh, so... Uh, Judith, that's that's what I got for you. I I don't know. Uh, I feel like I should say more. The, the real issue is though we all want to be the savior. That's really what's going on, right? We all just want to be the one. Uh, you know when when we had to sell our church building, one of our church buildings, the mega church building, uh, and uh, and uh, you know there were people who somehow found money to buy it. Um, don't know how that happened. Uh, it, my heart can say, oh no, this is bad. This isn't what I foresaw. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I prayed for. What I've been trying to learn this year, which is a whole year removed from the event, um, is that my heart should say instead, oh, look at this unexpected gift I've been given. This spilled coffee that made me take a break in my show right a moment ago, right? Look at this unexpected gift I've been given. Perhaps I should ponder how it's good for me and not bad for me. And that at least will feel better than being angry about it. It doesn't always work. I mean, that was my wife. Last night it was pretty dark. I, I don't know. Sun went down. I got depressed. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter what I did. I was just depressed. And this morning I woke up. Sun came up. It felt much better. So sometimes this is the way it is too, right? You just walk through those those dark nights. Uh, dark night of the soul. Affington, as, as Lutheran called it. But, but to continue to... Expect yourself to carry the salvation of others' souls, even by means of your prayers. This is the commonest of our sins, I think, right? And far better is, is start praying with Psalm 129. No, yeah. it's, it's the other half of the prayer. Lord, save them. And if they are not saved, well, then, Lord, do what you do to those who hate you. Um, and some of that prayer goes a long way with your heart. Um, maybe being ready to say the right thing when you need to say it for those who need to hear it. Melinda says this, is kneeling for communion adiaphora? I have read in the scriptures that Jesus had them, had them, had them, that's me adding it, had them people, had the people sit when he fed them, the 4,000 and the 5,000. We Christians believe at the Last Supper people were reclining, right? So does it matter if we stand or kneel? Thanks and God bless Melinda. All right, so, Adiaphora is a word that means, in Latin, a thing neither commanded nor forbidden. It's a concept that has gotten no end of abuse in my church body by people who just want to do whatever they want. Um, and yet I'm very thankful for it. I, in fact, right now I would say that it's the most important issue for any congregation is to realize that masks are neither commanded nor forbidden by Jesus. And if you have people who want church without masks, you should probably provide it for them. Uh, or find them a way to go somewhere where they can have that. So adiaphora, it's an important thing. Uh, reckoning with, once we've hit something that is maybe really good, but not required for Christianity, not of the scriptures itself, directly commanded, right? Uh, once you hit that point, you uh, the, the peace and the stability of the group is the primary goal uh, with a superseding secondary goal that is one that goes above and beyond that being if someone attempts to 
foist upon the group an adiaphora as though it were not. That is to create a new form of worship, uh, that you must resist this at all costs. So, uh, let's apply that then to kneeling for communion. All right. The first thing you got to ask is, well, do people at your church kneel for communion or not already? It is an adiaphora. It is not said in communion or in, in the scriptures that you must do this. You, however, have brought up a couple of interesting points that surrounding receiving food from Jesus are Bible passages that imply a certain bodily posture or a change or a being beneath Jesus. Now, do you need to kneel to believe that? No, not at all. But could a group of people deciding together to kneel, um, agreeing to do this, find value in that? Yes. Could they do that and others not kneel and it be okay? Yes, that too, right? What's not okay is to say that you must kneel to receive communion. Otherwise, it's not communion, right? And kneel, kneel, right? It's like Loki. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I want to say one thing more about this, at least, um, about kneeling though, particularly. So Kneelers being what they are, like so if you have them, awesome. Uh, if you haven't lost them, keep them for by all means because they're pretty cool. And that's my opinion. Uh, and uh, if you don't have them, there's no reason not to put them back in. And I'll even say that it, done peaceably, it's a really good goal to have because while adiaphora does mean things neither commanded nor forbidden, it's important to know that not all adiaphora, not all adiaphora, not all things are really the same all the time. I'll give you a really stupid example, but you know, milk is an adiaphora in general, like milk in your house. It's not commanded or forbidden. Putting milk into a cup and drinking it, neither commanded nor forbidden. Putting milk into your gas tank and then trying to start your car, neither commanded nor forbidden. Now, if we're all going to do something together at church, we should probably do something we all think is a good idea by and large. And is where liturgy is great. When you've inherited good ideas from like thousands of years ago, they tend to hold up. <laughs> uh, so kneeling is a strange phenomena in that it's pretty new, uh, although it's very old. So coming out of the Middle Ages, the churches wouldn't have even had pews. So you would have had people kneel often on cold stone, but only the young. Uh, sometimes they would have some chairs or pews around the outside of the building, uh, but a lot of the space would have been very open, and people would stand there. People didn't go to church every week. <laughs> Everything was in Latin, right? Uh, and no one, no one spoke it but the priests. Um, so uh, you know, the advent of the pew or the coming the pew was sort of a. a, a it probably, I don't know the history of this, but it probably does have to do with preaching being something that people sat and listened to for much longer than the non-preaching that was going on in the uh, kind of sacramental liturgy of the Roman Catholic medieval church, penance and uh, uh, paying for uh, indulgences and all that. So as as the Reformation goes and people are they're coming to church more and they're listening and they're old, I think pews probably come in there somewhere. It'd be interesting to find out where the history of that is. Did they have kneelers right away or not? I don't know. But I know that there was a time in the uh, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod history where it would have been unthinkable to not have kneelers. Uh, that that would have just been in every single church and always would have been done at a certain times. I did that kneeling was too hard for some people, and so we'd take it away from everybody because we didn't want the people who... I think the argument would go is that people who can't kneel feel bad, and we don't want them to feel bad, and so 
you can't kneel either or something like that. I don't know. I don't even know. Honestly, it's so sad that they took it away. But then once it's gone, though, too, then now it's gone. Right. So Audi Offer doesn't get to just like play fair. <laughs> you have to then be like, well, it's gone now and it doesn't matter. Hmm. So what do you do? Um, you know, I, I was crazy on uh, Christmas. I think it was Christmas Day. No, weekend after Christmas uh, uh, at church and I wasn't in charge. I was just there. I think I kneeled on the ground um, just because I wanted to. <laughs> uh, but, and, you know, it, it, is it required is your question. And the answer is absolutely not. But what I want to then emphasize is that what kneeling did do that is not required as a commandment, but is kind of built into the idea is that kneeling made worship physical. Like you have to be aware that your body is there. It's not just a book. It's not just a show, right? This is where like you're going to watch church at home. There's, there's something missing here. There's something Gnostic here. There's something merely intellectual and platonic here. Uh, your body can certainly be fed by the spirit of others far away over an electrical cord, but there's not quite the same spirit in, in its experience, at least, as going where all these other bodies are. And then particularly if you uh, take certain, certain actions together, whether it be standing, kneeling, shaking hands, eating bread and wine, right? All those things are bodily realities that Jesus baked into his, <laughs> his Christianity. Um, and in that then, so the word worship, uh, there's a couple words that get used for it, but the primary word for worship is a bodily word. You hear the word worship in English and you think something about like music, probably, or singing. And that's really nothing to do with the word in the New Testament. We, I've, I've, honestly, I think it's dishonest to translate it as worship. It just is completely not what they're talking about. Uh, what the word meant there was a physical bodily reaction to the individual that displayed an utter and abject subservience and reverence to them. That is, you would kiss the dirt. And that's literally the meaning of the word is to kiss earth to kiss earth, okay? No, not like that. To put your face on the ground and to acknowledge that you are worth that dirt compared to the thing before you. That's the meaning of the word from antiquity. By the time it's being used of the apostles in the New Testament, although it has softened somewhat, like you don't have to like lick the dirt, it doesn't really not mean that. So when Peter falls on his face before Jesus says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. It's not like he's not getting it, right? And when he ascends into heaven, they all worship him. Well, they didn't sing around, sit around in a circle singing songs. Huh? Um, they, they, they did what you would have done as a Jew. They said psalms and they got on their knees and maybe on their face, right? Uh, the Eastern world understands that the body is part of worship and kneeling is part of that. But, Melinda, again, you cannot force this in some sort of its required way. What you have to do as a Christian is breathe and speak. <sighs> and even when you stop doing those things, I mean, Jesus still loves you. But the point of like corporate worship, that we, it doesn't exist if you're not breathing and then speaking out what you've heard in some way. Um, if your mind is not engaged, really, you're not there either. You know, I mean, that, that is true. And a lot of people just go through the motions, but you can't judge that and you can't decide what that is. You just have to take ownership of yourself, go ahead and participate intellectually. Yeah. And then with your heart and then with your breath, that is your body. And then again, kneelers then, or kneeling is a way of kind of going somewhere between kissing the dirt <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, nothing. 
having no recognition that you're you're a worthless scum that doesn't deserve to be there. You're a traitor. Uh, you're you're a you're a people from the orc clans uh, that is raided and murdered and pillaged and done nothing but evil. And here you are under this great elven king who has decided that he is going to take you as his own. And you're going to walk in and put your feet up? No, you're not. <laughs> you're going to be on the ground, right? And so that's imploring him, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, you know who's in charge of you. And so... Kneelers are a way to show that, Melinda. And what I'm going to suggest is not that we have to have kneelers. I'm going to suggest that the more your piety gets physical, the more your piety gets straight up. Um, And what's important here, though, is to recognize that not everyone shares the same piety. So, for example, I kneel after I consecrate the Lord's Supper. Not everybody in the LCMS does that, but some do. Um, If I were somewhere else assisting and that guy did not kneel, I would not kneel. Uh, I would just wait so that it looked uniform up front. Um, however, if he were with me um, and I felt like really making an issue of being uh, symmetrical, which is ideal, um, I'd say, hey, dude, can you can you kneel with me even though you don't normally? And I would hope he would do the same because it's about at that point we're in front and we're showing. Right. But when I look out the, the congregation and I see, oh, about half of them make the sign of the cross when I when I do, um, you know, th- that's fine. Like people don't have to do that. It's a way to remember things. Piety is a way to take what you found in the scriptures and attempt to believe it in real time. And physical action helps your piety. That does not mean that your piety is right. It does not mean that your piety is what other people should adopt, right? Don't hear me in those ways. But uh, piety or godliness or the desire to be holy, desire to have a life that looks good. Um, this is not wrong for Christians to have this. And uh, kneeling certainly, in my experience, has enhanced that. I've not been uh, afraid of saying in the past, I mean, I can see it right over there. There is a yoga mat with a Hebrew Bible and a Greek Bible sitting on them. And in the morning, I go over there and I, it depends on the day, I'll start cross-legged, I will start um, uh, you know, bending over, I, whatever. I'll do a couple of slight stretching. You can call it yoga. You can call it stretching. It's not yoga in the sense of anything you'd find at a yoga studio. But I understand that some of their posture positions, downward dog, um, it's just a really great stretch, right? So, so I do a lot of stretching. But in the course of that stretching, most of these positions also involve standing up and getting down, standing up and getting down. So I put a picture of Jesus, well, a crucifix of Jesus right there with the Bible. So now what I do is I, I, I stretch while I pray. And it's been nothing but beautiful for me personally. Um, it slows me down. It causes me to ponder the words. Uh, it, it reminds me of really how little I know what I'm doing. And a child's position when you're all done is frankly a great place to finish up. If you don't know childs, you're practically face down in the dirt. Um, but it's a, it's a marvelous, restful place to breathe and remember what you've just heard. Because uh, I, I don't pray just ex corde cuz. I, I go psalms, psalms, more psalms, a proverb. And then if something falls out of my mouth, I assume Jesus will fix that one. You know? So, uh, you know, and and they, they mean things when I say them, but, you know, they're real prayers. But the ones I know that I am duty bound to pray are the ones I know he is duty bound to answer because they are his own prayers. And that's what the psalms gives you, right? So involving your body in that in some way. And not everybody can get down on the ground, but if you're young, you should try, because if you don't, when you're old, you won't be able to. So that's another reason to do that kind of thing. But, you know, simply breathing, right? Sit up straight, take deep breaths, read the text out loud, take a deep breath between the texts. That physical action, I'm not, you know, this isn't juju. This is just recognizing you have, you have a body. It's amazing. It sounds like juju. That's how platonic we've gotten. Everyone thinks they're going to live in computer bugs in the future. You are a body. 
So you have to sit and feed the body what heart and mind need, which is oxygen, oxygen. And that breath of your body, that discipline coming in is what empowers and invigorates your hearing, your seeing, your saying. And so doing that intentionally with the living, breathing word of God, I'll just tell you, it's been good for me. (laughs) It's been good for me. So, but, but do you have to kneel? No, no, you don't. And, you know, I, I pray walking. Um, uh, all the time I'll walk around and I'm just, I'll, I'll turn and face the crucifix. I do pray toward the crucifix a lot. I, I consider it a, a focus, right? Jesus is ascended to the highest heaven, which means he has in fact made all things really under his own control. And he knows that that crucifix is preaching to me who he is. And so I'll turn to that over the stone of my hearth and remembering that stone is, is the God everyone else has to worship and how scary that is to think that just me and this hearth would have to survive against the world. Like try to provide for my family with nothing but this right now, starting today, go get your food, Jonathan, no supermarkets. I look at both of those things and I say, whatever comes to mind, <laughs> it's a lot of Kyrie eleison. Hallelujah has been nice when it shows up, you know, uh, but to be unashamed of the prayer itself, right? That that's part of what your body has to learn how to be. And in some ways I would say that being willing to kneel, being willing to get on the ground, it alleviates the shame. It alleviates the shame. It really does. Uh, because again, the, the propitiation, the substitutionary atonement, the being bought with a price, uh, well, it is slavery. And the more you know that, Heart, body, soul, uh, golly, the better gospel it gets. It's not slavery like men have had here. No, 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 no. All those fantasy books about Gondor and whatnot, that's just dreams. Dreams of real slavery. You know, stewardship. Ultimate stewardship. So I'm going to take a little little short break here again and come back. We definitely got some more time. I'm going to scroll the comments and find some of your questions because I know I've seen some going through. There have been some super chats. We've got a bunch of time here. Uh, so give me, do I have a one-minute one here? I used to have a one-minute one. Did I make it go away? Three minute one. We'll be back shortly, probably before this is over. All right. You can get the music later. So uh, Adam, who uh, later showed up and corrected me about Polycarp. That's the name I was looking for earlier. Thank you, Adam. Uh, He says, good morning, Pastor Fisk. If the purpose of Bible studies is teaching, then why don't the confessions play a more central role? And how do we get people learning about them outside the church building? Uh, I wish I knew how to answer this question, Adam. I'm I'm sadly at the point where I don't think we should be trying to teach the confessions in a Bible study classroom. Uh, I think they certainly can be used as the centerpiece for a men's group that meets regularly. That is possible. But at this time in history, I would still use the Psalms and Proverbs for that. Uh, and it's not that the confessions do not have things that we need to know. Uh, is that as a whole, they're a very diverse collection of resources that probably would do a lot better printed separately as, you know, seven different volumes. For example, then the large catechism is a place that is very easy to direct people to as a quick read. Someone who walks in off the street can take that thing up. Or the Augsburg Confession as well would be a document for studying regularly with, say, the church council or the board of elders. But the whole document is a book to simply have that drop out of the sky into most people's lives is just a bit more than the modern world can take. And it's exactly the kind of thing that an, an elite church body uh, from the upper echelons of educated America, but not holding that position, is the kind of thing that it would want to do so that its elites could be more influential in the future. 
And challenges that generation is gone. <laughs> and, you know, it would have been something you would have wanted to do, say, with your public university system, uh, wherein you could craft the entire trajectory so a generation of kids all have one united mind about what we believe and why. Uh, that would have been real good about 1980, I think. It would have been a real good idea. Uh, what happened? Lots of people have lots of other ideas in life. So where's that put me again? Um, I'm not going to be dying on the hill of getting the Book of Concord of 1580 into my Bible study. I certainly am going to have it available and as a resource for anybody who I think is ready to really get why we are not going back to Rome, at least not without this book. Um, So so for that purpose, uh, but in terms of being our, our epicenter, I think... Luther and the confessional uh, signers would have been pretty upset with us if we were putting the study of the confessions above the knowledge of the the Bible, uh, particularly the Old Testament, and its its connection point to our being Gentiles brought into this great history that is not our own, and of which we really don't have the freedom to just destroy or do whatever we want, that we've been grafted in and can be uh, cut back off again. Um, so I think it's pretty important that we put our eggs on the certainty of what those confessors and those confessions point to again and again, which is the scriptures themselves. So another way to look at it is this. You should hear me in my sermons teaching about everything the Augsburg Confession says. There should be the, the things I, that it says are true. If you go to my church for a year and start making a list with those categories, you should have a general idea of the Augsburg Confession from what I've said from the Bible. But you would just have to have those categories to catch it, right, as I'm saying it. As opposed to every time I say it, me going, this is Augsburg Confession 3. This is, this is what this is. This is where that is. And you should go look at it like this. It's not that the Augsburg Confession doesn't say these things well. If we're going to have a fight, let's deal with it on the basis of that document. But as far as converting people to Christianity who have no idea how to read or think because all they do is zombie watch TV, that's who I'm after, man. That's who I'm after. Uh, Christianity is a religion for common people. And the Book of Concord is a, a guideline for the king. Now, as a pastor, locally, that's kind of what that guy's job is so far as the theology goes, so he should know that thing inside and out. And frankly, if the elders of that congregation really want to keep him from being a complete loony, they should know that thing pretty well and ask him to teach it, say, at their meetings. But as far as what the babes and infants really need to hear more than anything else, it's not what Sunday school taught them either. It's not about dumbing it down. It's not about dumbing it down. It's about finding it in the actual scriptures. It's not about here's these ideas and here's the places the Bible points to it. It's about here's the Bible and here's the ideas that come out of it. Cart horse, right? Cart horse. So that's that's my answer, Adam. And this wasn't where I was a couple of years ago. I was trying to, just just two years ago, I think I was basing, I was trying to base my confirmation curriculum on the Oxford Confession. It seemed wise. But I'm just not sure having all those kids sit in a classroom every week is wise. At all. Part of me thinks that no matter what I say, that way of doing, learning to be an adult Christian, 
doesn't work. <laughs> uh, it, it certainly is a holdover from something that was very different when it was done once upon a time. Uh, I mean, I, unless all those kids in those pictures, you know, when those, those churches have these pictures of these families or these kids, you know, confirmation got 35 kids, 40 kids. Like, did they all just not go to church next week after that? I mean, cause that's what happens now is like, you know, half of them just don't come to church more than that even. So like they're there for, I mean, so what was the real fight, Adam? And that's the question I'm asking. And I am thankful that in my fight, the book of Concord of 1580 is my confession. And I think anyone who wants to be really, really, uh, certain of how bad it's going to be and how good it always is, they might want to give it a good look. But is it the, is it the mission text? I'm going to say, I'm not there. I'm not there. Um, so yeah. Although again, pieces of it, I would give away the, the large catechism or even an abbreviated version of it on like a postcard. I mean, that'd be fantastic. Right? So it's, it's more about how, we have the medium, right? Of this big book, but this book is a compilation. It's a reference source. So it's how do you get what's in that reference source out of the reference source rather than try to get everyone to read the reference source. Hey, you should read the encyclopedia. It's got amazing things in it. Well, it does, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's kind of what we're up against there. So, all right. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm looking for a question mark because that'll make it a lot easier. Here is a uh, super chat as well. Meditatio says, how do we pray some Psalms that we can't pray honestly? ha. <laughs> There's no such thing. Uh, unless you're trying to like pray it as if it's only about you. Nah. I, I'll say more about this one though, but it's, I, I love the question and yet it's now you just, you just step back a sec, step back, uh, take a bigger look, broader view. Uh, Psalm 35 talks about the author fasting and wearing sackcloth for his enemies, but I haven't done that. So how can I tell God I did well? Oh, don't be a Pharisee, you know, uh, a a Jew who believes in salvation by works. Be all of them, I think. That'd be not a teaching we want to adopt, that circumcision party teaching. Uh, and so you're never going to solve your crisis with the law of God by going and doing outward actions to complete some sort of balance. Yeah, that's magic. <laughs> uh, and you, you just, you're not going to do it. Uh, it won't, it won't happen. It can't happen. Uh, so instead, when you find something like this about fasting and wearing sackcloth for his enemies, first ask who wrote it. Now, I haven't looked at 35 recently, but it's probably David. So we'll just say David. Okay. So, well, David did it. Who's David? Well, is he your king? Kind of. He's the great, 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 great grandfather of your king, right? He's the, he's the, th- his throne. You worship at David's throne. All right. So, so your king, David, did it as a foreshadow of Jesus, who then, I mean, are you going to tell me that 40 days in the wilderness didn't count because he didn't have sackcloth on, right? I mean, like, that's, that's not just, like, Jewish. That is modern, okay? And by Jewish, I mean biblically, the way John uses the word. It, it, is, it is also modern. It is ridiculously skeptical and obtuse. It's asking for a universe that doesn't exist, please let me do all my measurements with Newtonian physics and never have margin of error. I mean, it's, it, that's just not where we are. It's not where we are. And so Jesus fulfilled this. He fulfilled this for you in the 40 days. He fulfilled this for you in his baptism. He fulfilled this for you in his death. So that when you say it, just because you're in him, it's valid. 
And you can say it with the full effect. I did this because, you know, Jesus did. His act of obedience is yours. His Holy Spirit is yours. God is in you as the promises that everything Jesus did is yours. So you can say you have fasted and put on sackcloth because you commune in the body and blood of Jesus. Now, if after all is said and done, you have the idea that maybe sometime you might not eat from sundown to sun up and spend the time in prayer, that you might turn the heat off, wear something not as nice, live on just some water and the scriptures, maybe another devotional resource, and find out that after that time it's really thrilling, that it really inspires you to do more, that a vigil is not a bad idea, well, that's all great. Just don't think you have to do that in order to pray the psalm. You're only going to do that because you have been validated to pray the psalm from outside of you by your being immersed into who Jesus is, period, and him saying, you are mine, you are my bond servant, you are my slave, my words are your words now, put them in your mouth. Stop arguing. Stop arguing, just do it. I want to talk about obedience. And we're obedient to everything except what the Bible says. And I'm not a big man on obedience. Like, better do it, better do it, better do it. But, but discipline? Mm-hmm. I think I posted on... Uh, I won't be able, to, be able to give the full effect, but I think I posted on, on Discord this week on the Lucid channel. Maybe I didn't. It was somewhere else. In the Mad Christian Discord, amongst the sons of Solomon who are praying certain psalms all the time as a clock for our lives, as a prayer for the universe, as an attempt to hopefully unify Christians, at least on something valuable, that is these psalms. Uh, we're we're uh, the, the guys, uh, the sons. They are discovering all these psalms that we don't pray very often. Uh, because of things they say that were like, oh, I don't know how I can really say that, and nobody was there to be like, Jesus. <laughs> so some of them, though, they're, the problem's even bigger. It's not just that they have something about sackcloth that you haven't worn. The problem is it's talking about like crushing the skulls of infants and, and having their teeth broken and things, right? And that you're praying that this would happen to your enemies. And... Uh, uh, you know, the ladies don't like that as much, I've discovered. And ladies, uh, frankly, this is this is something we really got to deal with. The, those psalms aren't in the hymnal because they offend you. And then the men get offended on your behalf. And over time, uh, listening to that offense, we've we've taken a lot of really important prayers out of our mouths. And that's terrifying. Uh, no wonder our enemies are destroying us. Because if you understood what the prayers for your enemies to be destroyed meant, uh, as a Christian, you would know it always means their salvation first, and only then their damnation when is well and good deserved. And so it's pretty freeing to be able to pray that. Um, so uh, guys have been discovering these psalms over there. And, and again, how potent it is to be able to say, let those who hate Zion be put to shame and turn back. Let them be as dust on the grass on the housetops which withers, or grass on the housetops with, which withers, uh, which blows away. Um, yeah, I lost, I lost the end of it there. But point being, right, um, the... Christian masculinity, if it is anything, it's the ability to not be the savior. And then that means it's the ability to let people not believe. And that means it's the ability to then pray the wrath of God upon them. After you've prayed for mercy, not sacrifice. And recapturing that, I think, is is uh, super important. Um, so finding, having these guys find these, so this is the one I was going to say. So I found, I think it's in Psalm 12. 
um, there's a verse about how uh, uh, the word of God uh, is greater than all other things and should never be removed from anything ever. So it's kind of like that. And we, we don't have that one in our hymnal. It's like, wow, guys, that was a bad decision. That was a bad decision. Can we own that? Can we just say it was a bad decision? Now, we're not going to reprint the hymnal probably, but we can say it was a bad decision. The next time we print a hymnal, let's put all the Psalms in it. I mean, what, what, are, what are we trying to do? Like, who are we trying to please here? You know, I mean, that really, really is what it comes down to. All right. So uh, continuing forward here, looking for question marks in your comments this morning. Do, 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 do. Mm-mm. No question marks. You guys are chitty chatting, which is awesome and all good. Uh, the music got too loud. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. My thumbs down. There we go. You're right, Jonathan Clemens. My thumbs down person is consistent. Yeah, it really has it in for me. I might get shot or something. Don't shoot me. Just thumbs down me, okay? I'm a real person. Uh, um, so a question. Here we go. Uh, my charismatic father wants to read the book of Revelation together. Revelation 1-3 is his purpose for wanting to read it out loud together because we'll be blessed in Copeland theology sense. Well, honestly, I'm not in total disagreement with that. I'm really not. Uh, I mean, if you are an unbeliever, all the curses in it are going to come upon you as you walk away and forget what you read and don't apply it. Right. Or, or really worse than don't apply it, teach against it or teach some other thing that it doesn't really say at all, which is what most people do with that book. So there's, there's that. But the fact is, blessed are the words of this book. If you read this, you're in the scriptures of Jesus together. Now, hopefully you're going to hear John calling you to repentance and telling you not to trust anybody uh, except Jesus. Uh, and then go back and read those other books that are a lot more clear and easy to understand, as opposed to try to pin the tail on the Antichrist, which is what he's probably going to want to do eventually. Um, but, but hey, you know what? Um, I'm not against the idea. Your challenge is going to be being well-read on the matter. Uh, For that, I would recommend, although I often do disagree with his final conclusions, he at least starts you on a very good path. It'd be good for the discussion. Uh, Lewis Brighton's Revelation Commentary. There are two versions of this from Concordia Publishing House. One that is uh, the, the scholastic version, pretty, pretty good, you know, and the one that just pairs it down and takes some of the Greek talk out of it. And you can get that either of those. I'm pretty sure on amazon.com. So I'd make sure you really have something there. You can find my videos on revelation as well. I've got a bunch of different stuff on it. It'll give you some, some, uh, structure. I continue to grow and learn every time I read the book. I have, I have never at this point gone back on anything I've said publicly, but I'm finding more. So for example, I used to teach that there were three sevens that form the structure of the book, but there are four. <laughs> you just have to ignore those letters from the churches and pretend they're not there. You know, uh, there are four sevens. And so those kinds of things, the book is, is so uber complex and it barely made it into scripture because it was so confusing and people knew it would cause problems. And yet I believe it's from the hand of John the apostle. And if you get through the end of it and you believe Jesus is coming back, then you've been blessed by reading that book, right? So don't be too, uh, don't expect too much equivalent exchange. Yeah. Uh, don't expect to, it all be what you work out mathematically and well, I got to do it all perfect the whole way. And then he'll convert. Um, maybe be open to the opportunity. Like I said about the coffee earlier, it's amazing how many times if something went wrong, it, I mean, it's like, it's not every time, but it's like one out of five. If you just stop, you're like, well, that was better actually. Let's just grab that. But it takes, it takes some patience and some out of the box thinking to, to say, you know, if, if this is what's supposed to be here, what does that mean? And how could it be good? Um, and so, well, you know, I, I don't disagree that reading the book is what you're supposed to do out loud. That's what he says. You should read all scripture out loud. It makes you slow down. It's good for you. So yeah. Um, all right. Coming down to, 
Uh, Riskit says this, last week you made a distinction between Lutheran kind of talk and church fathers kind of talk. Oh, I'm not sure I know what I meant by that. Um, care to elaborate on similarities or differences? So, I mean, Lutherans want to unify, which is what the scriptures say we should do. And we want to unify around what the scriptures say, which is what the scriptures say we should do. And we want to use the words the scripture uses, which is what the scripture uses. The difficulty is that Bible doesn't stop decaying. And so what we've done recently as Lutherans that I think is our mistake is we believe that if we could codify the word at a point in time where we all understood what it meant and it inspired us, justification, that that would be a bastion that could never fall as a word and could never be corrupted as part of our talk. Uh, and then this has happened in the midst of an intentional obfuscation that the television has done to us, I would say, to make us a slave people. Um, but, you know, I believe the Matrix is real, kind of, and zombies are real, kind of, so I'm crazy, like like you know. But, uh, uh, so, what I'm, what I'm getting at there probably is that Lutherans know that what we've got is a gold mine in, like, a really ugly box. <laughs> And, and we know that we need to share it with people somehow. What you find in the church fathers is nothing nearly so boxed. What you find is uh, very potent personalities and intellects saying lots of different stuff. Some of which is really true. And the Bible is so clearly saying this. Some of it, they're just pulling it out of their backside while they talk about the Bible. And that's like what you're going to find on YouTube today, right? Hi, guys. So it's it's not like it's so different in their world. And it's not like in that world they weren't striving the way Lutherans do today to unify around certain words. It's how we got the canon of Scripture. It is. It's how we got the Nicene Creed. These, these are good things. But notice the mark they set for universality with these things as well. That The, the bar was kind of low. And the mark that the Lutherans have set is the Augsburg Confession, but due to all these other issues with the modern world, mostly, um, we've got all these nuances and complications and things written in stone and institutions and all this stuff, right? Uh, these histories that you can't escape from. And yet, the average person on the street in my city has no clue about any of that. So I can go and I can try to teach them about how Rome is wrong, but they already think Rome is wrong. They don't go to the Roman Catholic Church. They raised Pentecostal. They don't, they don't go to that church either. They're all, they're all very legalistic there. I hate that stuff. What they like to do is just watch games and stuff. Right? This person is a human who, if I talk to them long enough, I'm going to find out that they have pains and hopes and lost dreams and, and broken loves. Right? And If I think I've got to give them the, the story of Dr. Martin Luther in order to tell them that Jesus has risen from the dead, I've got a problem in my moment. Right? I've got a hiccup in my confession. And the hiccup is my confession, which is part of the problem now, right? It's not that the confession is wrong, it's that the box that it is in is a really big elite box. And what we have to figure out how to do is take what's in that elite box and translate it. Uh, you know, they did it once from German already. Why do we assume that the English that we got 30 years ago now, right? 20 years ago is the most recent one. Um, you know, 15. Uh, why do we assume that that in our day of, of hypermedia Babylon destruction, that, that is the end all be all product. And so we should all bow down and join the LCMS. No one's listening to us. 
us. Nobody cares who we are. They think we're stuck up jerks. And I'm saying, maybe we should like think about that before we just decide to keep on going. And in this then, you know, recognizing that we adore the church fathers rightly in the confessions by quoting them as men who in various times and places fought certain battles and were Christian. And while we would not accede to everything they ever said, they said some really good things. I think that we should now, as Christians, be fearless in a dying pagan world to be the same kind of people, to be the same kind of fathers, less worried about being misunderstood and more worried about not being heard at all. I think that's what I meant. Probably. I don't think I said anything there that would lead someone to believe that I am discontent with my church body's confession. But if that's what you heard, please go back and listen again. I'm arguing for it. I'm just arguing that we don't even know it. (laughs) By and large. And I don't think the answer again is, um, well, everyone better sit down and read the book of Concord right now. No, no, no. As As the head of the household should teach his children. We don't even believe that. So what are we doing? You know, that's where I'm at. Uh, Desert Rose says, uh, thank you, Pastor Fisk uh, from the Gould family. Well, thank you, Desert Rose uh, and the Gould family. Um, wow, are you the Desert Rose from Twitter? That's crazy if you're watching. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, uh, da, 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 da. More commentary looking for the question mark. So in the future, leaving those question marks in the side will help me if I get to this type in the show and you have something you want to ask me. I'm seeing mass conversation, which is yay fun. Um, good conversation, guys. This is deep over here. Uh, RIP headphone users. I'm not sure uh, what that was about. So, okay. How are we still talking about the music this far into the reality? Um, is it just from the... And how can the music be super loud? I, I'll, I'll look at it later. Anyway, what time are we at? It's over. Show's over, but it's not. I got, I'll answer all your questions that are in the comments before I go. Um, I'm going to do Stacy here. She's talking about abortion. And interestingly, when arguing the abortion question, a friend told me they are legally in no way required to keep another person alive, even if they're the only ones that could. Hmm. I'm not sure what that's about. Are we talking about like the, uh, um, oh, I'm going to lose it now. The oath, the Hippocratic oath. Is that what it's about? Uh, it is true that that aborted babies are supposed to be let die if they accidentally live in a lot of places. Like, that's on the books. So, like, you go for the abortion, it doesn't work. If you don't let that baby die, you get sued. So, it's... We live in an evil place. What's wrong with you, Pastor Fisk? You seem so serious recently. We live in an evil place. Just because the bombs aren't going off. We think it's safe. And it's it's foolhardy really is. Uh, so, uh, let's see here. Looking still for questions. I thought I saw one more as I was scrolling up. We should use that for questions. That would help. That would help. Anything. You can just type question really big. Someone did that with caps. That helped a lot. Um, also, someone who's really bored could like put all the questions like on, I don't know, you could copy paste them and then at the end you could give them to me. That's what, that's what we have for his before and all that. So, all right. I don't see any more. I will stay at the bottom. If you got one that comes through right now, we will do it because I'll be here for at least five more minutes. I want to make sure that I do a little state of the chill. All right. So this is like, 
less show and more. Are you on board with Patreon? Do you give money to me in any way, shape, or form? What's going on? What am I doing? What's the plan? Uh, what's it being used for? Uh, and I've really wrestled with what's the best way to do a state of the chill. I thought about a zoom meeting that was open to a bunch of different people. I thought about just posting videos in, in, uh, in uh, the mad Christian discord. But then I realized that really us, the chill is, is you who are watching this show whenever it happens. And so, um, in, in terms of information getting to me from my people, uh, that needs to happen through different channels. But in terms of me getting information out to you and to them, it's probably best just to talk here. Uh, this is sort of the thing that makes it all go around for the moment. Ooh. But that's exactly where, uh, although I had done, I don't believe my very small internet profile has been shrunk by my loud mouth support of the pro-life Trump. Um, it, it is certainly a wake up call to anybody who works in social media that uh, they can turn you off pretty fast and your financial uh, ability can go away pretty fast. But even more important than that is your ability to reach people with the message that they want to hear from you. And that is why Mad Christian Mondays as a newsletter exists, because the email list that exists for creation of a newsletter is private property that I can maintain. Uh, we do not sell or use your information for anything other than send you email. But in the event that YouTube would be shut down, in the event that Discord would be shut down, in the event that who knows what else happened, we would have your email addresses. So if we still could send emails, we could tell you where we went and you would still be getting your Mad Mondays every single week as well, which of course is the best email you could possibly get. You don't really want to go to your email inbox ever, right? But Mad Mondays is good enough email. You might even print it out and read it later. It's, it's that good. So Mad Mondays has continued to be then sort of what uh, the job of being me looks like. So you know, I'm here. I'm a pastor. I get paid. We probably could survive on what I get paid. I got five kids. I don't know if we could. <laughs> uh, I'm a carnivore. Uh, we try to eat what I believe is healthy and it's not cheap. Uh, and so, uh, you know, living in that world, the fact that this exists as something I can do that brings in income has been a very big blessing to me. However, this last, you know, couple of weeks and, and months, uh, I've really begun to ask, okay, so what happens if all that goes away? What's the plan? If I can't get this cream that helps me buy things, not only like a camera, right? But if I really need something I want, I bought some, some boxes, uh, yesterday for using smart noting and I'm, I'm, uh, in file systems and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, whatever comes in, that's what it, it's, it's what I'm able to continue to produce with. Um, but asking, you know, could I survive without it? What's an, what's a post internet world look like if they actually do, uh, turn the key off? Why am I asking that? Cause it doesn't look like that's what's happening just yet. You're right. Um, but uh, the wake up call is <laughs> this world's a pretty crazy place and whatever they're not doing today, they might do tomorrow. Uh, and so I want to be able to continue to serve here, be a preacher. I don't want to have to leave just because they shut my YouTube channel off. Uh, so, um, so I continue to, to approach everything as an organization, uh, mad Christianity, dark shore, uh, with that in mind that the long game is what matters and that maintaining what we already have is far more important, uh, than starting something new. And I think a lot of people are realizing that maybe is the times we're living in right now anyway. Um, but so I, I am putting a lot of weight on Saturday morning chill, continuing to be value to those of you who are getting it. And, and the fact that we tie the income stream via Patreon to Saturday morning chill, um, I'm, I'm, it continues to grow and people continue to jump on board. So I, I, I have to believe that that is sufficient uh, in terms of, you know, what are, what are you getting out of it in terms of your money, right? 
Um, but then also a brief history of power with, with Dr. Koontz uh, for me has been just a phenomenal experience. I, that, that, that's his podcast more than mine. I just can't be along for the ride now. And as I learned my role uh, as, as the, the nut job questioner beside his, his sanity, um, that is something that uh, with Saturday Morning Chill and with streaming sermons uh, is sort of the long term. We know this works. Let's keep it going. Keep Mad Mondays going. Okay. A lot of this started way back when, uh, before Saturday Morning Chill was always Saturday Morning Chill with the idea of a comic book. It has been a lifelong dream of mine to publish a comic book. And uh, that one has been largely developed, almost complete, uh, by myself and a young man. Uh, the art's all done. Uh, we took it to Concordia Publishing House, and they, they weren't really very interested. They wanted uh, more of a graphic novel than a comic book series. But I, I really want to publish a comic book series. So, so we're not going through them. Um, we're going to try to do this uh, the old-fashioned way, uh, which is kickstarting it, uh, or something like that. And the, and the Shadow Broker, who some of you may know her name, she came on board to help me with that. And then Mad Mondays was the the framework we built for publicity so we could get enough publicity to one day release a comic book for reals, right? So that's the long game and that's pre-COVID planning right there, okay? Uh, and that's still going. That's still here. Uh, but recognizing that that kind of event, so a, a comic book is not even an ongoing series. A comic book is not an ongoing um uh, weekly kind of thing that just is always there. You can release one every five years if that's what it comes to. Uh, you just have to, you know, get the story and build enough capital for the kickstart to print it, right? <laughs> Excuse me. So in any case, that's still sitting there in the background pretty headily. Um, and, and it would kind of be the long goal of, of what it means to have Mad Christianity be a publishing house. Um, in terms of, uh, there are some other projects that we had in the fire. Things like... Uh, uh, transcriptions of various videos that I and or Pastor Wolf Mueller have done. And some of that work is still being done by people. What I'm realizing, though, is that I can only do so much. And those transcriptions will live or die a little bit with the uh, the love and leadership of those who have them in their hands. And that's what the Mad Christian Discord is also there for, is there so that people can work together on something with me kind of involved but without me having to do it. Uh, that's that's what, uh, trying to spearhead an, an organization in which you're doing multimedia reproductions of your creation for the sake of growing that audience so that the news gets out, uh, you, you can only do so much without paying full-time people. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's, that's kind of where the limit is at. And so you know, those transcriptions are, are sitting on the other side of that reality. Um, but then there's other stuff too. So going back to platforming and deplatforming, um, with the email list, I'm also thinking about, so what does it mean to have that email list and being able to send it if you don't have your own server to send it from? Um, so those kinds of questions are ones I haven't asked before and I'm having to think about in our, you know, our dystopic age. So I don't know. Uh, what I know is what you're getting is going to keep coming, right? I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. Uh, what I know is that I, I'm not going to start any new projects. Uh, the Dungeons and Dragons game show, I really, I wish I had the heart to do that. The reason I don't have the heart to do that, I now know and can tell you. And I, I couldn't figure it out before, but it's because I want to write a fiction book. And I always have. And until I completely abandon that thought, any writing I would do for a game show or otherwise is effectively stealing the juju from the fiction book. 
And you know that's what video gaming does to you, by the way. Watching movies does that to you. So if you really want to write something, you gotta you gotta stop getting everybody else's stories and have enough time for your own story to congeal. And so I'm giving a lot of time and effort to that. Uh, I'm continuing to develop the smart desk concept. So if you're in the Mad Christian Discord and you go to the elusive channel, you can see what that is look like. It might not make any sense as you're going through it, but I, I'm pretty pleased with the results of this thing. Uh, it's a, what is the smart desk? It is a very simple framework for painting or taping or drawing on your desk that will allow you to manage paper clutter, particularly six by four cards, but any type of paper clutter with a certain intellectual efficiency that is unparalleled. Um, and uh, that's a pretty big claim, but uh, you can check it out. It's free in the Mad Christian Discord. It's like the most recent picture I put up. Um, and it's uh, it'll surprise you if you don't know what you're, what you're in for. It surprised me when I found it. It was not what I was looking for. Uh, so... So, you know, working on that and, and taking that smart note idea that I found last summer, right? Where are we at? We're at, we're at June. Yamabe, when did he send that to me? It might have even been spring. And I went through a whole process of wanting to write a book about it because I thought it was valuable enough to share. But then what I realized was that to really take what it said seriously, I had to not write a book about it. I had to just instead give up the idea of book writing for a while. Um, and that might be kind of sad to hear, but I mean, that's kind of a nice place to tangent on that. Um, aside from this fiction book, which may or may not ever exist, and I'm letting it be, be that as well. Um, I have no plan to write another book right now. Uh, not the way I have written in the past. I do still hope at some point, but I want to give it some space and time to do a second draft, a second published draft on talk them into it. I think it's worth it, but I think it's, as I've read through it, it's, it's really pretty good as it is. Could it have used a couple more months? Yeah, but that wasn't going to happen. I needed to go through this process of backing off of a lot of those kinds of projects and finding the space to really understand what Rockford needs most of all right now. And, you know, forgive me if I don't just always air that, that here for you. Um, but, uh, uh, pulling back then and saying, I'm not going to write another book for say the LCMS or for say Christianity, the way like here I'm taking the, the catechism and I'm trying to sell you that the catechism makes a lot of sense. Here I'm taking justification and I'm trying to sell you that justification makes a lot of sense. I love it when people complain about this book and said I didn't say enough about what you should do in it. Oh, where's without flesh? And I'm trying to convince you that the Lord's Supper is, is your last great hope for church in America. I mean, what else can I say? But there, of the making of many books, there is no end. And I have lots and lots of good things to I can answer. But you know, it doesn't do us to doesn't do us a lot of good to publish more books in a culture that doesn't read. So um, I am writing every week for Mad Mondays, give or take. So you can see some stuff there, and there's no question that uh, I have. In front, like I'm looking at it all in front of me right now. I've actually, I got a, I do have a book. It's called Against All Odds. It's only about 50 pages, and it's sitting over there in handwriting. And if you come to a Sons of Solomon muster, um, you can probably read it. Uh, but it's it's in handwriting. And I have no intention of going and typing that thing in right now. I'm I'm writing other things. And this is what the smart note thing uh, freed me for. So I hope if you're disappointed, you won't be. I don't think I'm never going to publish again. I want to get these comic books going. Uh, but you don't need to read more books. You just spend more time thinking about what you read in the good ones. Take some notes if you want another book from me, go back, get without flesh or echo. Take some notes rather than highlight. If you already highlighted, you know, take some notes on your highlights. 
throw it in a pile in the corner, walk away for a week and a half, come back, go through those notes and start working them out again. Let that pile sit beside some of your other stuff you're working with, whatever else you're working with, and see if it doesn't, well, interlock. Uh, and then you just might be surprised what you know that you didn't know you knew, what you want to know that you didn't know you were looking for, and how you need to stop listening to everybody else's story so much so you can figure out what yours is. And guys, particularly, uh, in your 40s, get ready for this one. <laughs> this is the solution to your midlife crisis is to stop watching the shows and realize what show you're on and that no one's watching it but you and God. And, uh, well, maybe your kids. Yeah, your wife. So, um, yeah, uh, that, that's the state of the chill. That's where we are. Uh, we're changing our service times here in Rockford, so there's a lot going on in my heart and mind this weekend with regard to that. Continuing to try to navigate this congregation to not trample on Adi Afra in a state that is... I don't even know what to make of this place. It's like Pinocchio's Island. Um, it is just bizarre. Uh, and so, you know, all of that, um, what I intend to do for you at all costs and what I am thankful that you continue to support me for is showing up here and, and calling it like I see it. And if you, if you don't like that, great. Give me a thumbs down. Uh, and if you want to say something to me, I always listen. And even when I disagree with you, there was one question we didn't put on this week because it was really insulting. I mean, it was just really, really insulting. And, you know, I still looked at it. I still thought about not just your insult, but the actual truth that you're trying to share with me in spite of your inability to be kind to someone you've never met in an email you're sending to them. Um, I will always hear what you're saying, and I will consider what it is. And then I'm going to go and do what I think is right. And I pray you defend that. Because I pray that's what you want out of life. I pray that's what you want out of your religion, even if it's not mine. And yeah, mine's better. It's Jesus. But nonetheless, I'm not going to make you worship him at the sword. I'm just going to not tell you. I'm, not tell you. I'm just going to tell you, you don't get to use the sword to make me worship somebody else. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. So thank you all for tuning in today once more to hear me lose my ever-living mind because I found my ever-living heart, mind, and body in an empty tomb, more than that, in the flesh and blood of the resurrected Jesus Christ. So, hey, my name is Jonathan Fisk. You know where to find me. Stop wallowing in the muck with those who have no hope. Lift up your head. And all the more, as the zombies zoom about, as the Matrix continues to move it all towards Skynet. And you know, it's just a big story compared to the reality of the great day which is quickly approaching. Rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? 